This episode is brought to you by Rhino Skin Solutions, my go-to when it comes to taking care of my skin. I have been using the Performance Cream to keep my skin dry here in 10 Sleep, where I'm climbing right now. It's oscillating between being kind of warm and being cold and rainy, and the dry cream really helps me keep my skin dry on those humid days. I've been using the Repair Cream in the evenings to help my skin heal faster between sport climbing sessions. And this is exactly why Rhino Skin Solutions is so amazing. Whether you have dry, glassy skin or sweaty skin and have trouble keeping chalk on your hands like I do, Rhino Skin Solutions has products that are designed just for you and your skin type. Check out my episode with founder Justin Brown, episode 22 of The Nugget, still an amazing episode, to learn more about which products are right for you and how to dial in your skin for an upcoming climbing trip or performance season. That's a super valuable episode if you want to try Rhino products. If you want to level up your skin game, head over to rhinoskinsolutions.com and enter code NUGGET at checkout for 20% off your next order. That's rhinoskinsolutions.com. Use code NUGGET at checkout for 20% off and start taking better care of your skin today. This episode is also brought to you by Arcteryx. When Jordan Cannon, a young climber infatuated with climbing history, meets climbing legend Mark Hudon, a Yosemite big wall free climbing pioneer, they form an unlikely partnership around a common goal. Jordan wants to free climb the free rider on El Cap in a day, and Mark hopes to free the route in as many days as it takes and accomplish his lifelong goal of free climbing El Capitan. Follow their story in Free As Can Be, a short climbing film brought to you by Arcteryx. I watched the film about a month ago. It's 31 minutes long. It's so well done. It's a story of climbing partnership and adventure. And if you love this podcast, and especially if you loved my episode with Jordan Cannon, episode 115, one of my favorites, then I know you'll love the film. So check it out. Head over to YouTube and search for Arcteryx, free as can be, or use the direct link right there in your podcast app to watch the full 31-minute film for free. Once again, you can head over to YouTube and search for Arcteryx, free as can be, or use the direct link right there in your podcast app to watch the full 31-minute film for free. Arcteryx presents free as can be, and we hope you enjoy the film. And finally, this episode is brought to you by Grasshopper Climbing. I have tried all of the training boards on the market. I love them all, but the Grasshopper board is my favorite. I cannot wait to buy a house or a property someday just so I can own one of these so I can train on it every day. Why is it my favorite? Well, first off, they got the basics right. You can actually warm up on the board, which is super critical if you're thinking about putting a board in your garage and that's all you have to train on. The LED lights are in the right spot and are easy to see when you're climbing, and the wall angle is easy to adjust. Those three things already set the grasshopper board apart. But more than that, I absolutely love their hold set. As soon as I climbed on the board, I could tell the folks at Grasshopper put a ton of thought into the hold shapes and the layout. The layout is also mirrored, which I love. It's really cool to try a boulder problem and then flip it around in the app and see if it feels different climbing it the other way around. I think that's a great diagnostic tool, and I love that if I find a cool boulder problem in the app, I immediately have two to work on that are equally good because I can just flip it around and climb the mirrored boulder problem. Anyway, that's why I love the Grasshopper board, but as always, don't take my word for it. 
The folks at Grasshopper just want you to try it out for yourself. Be sure to check them out on Instagram at Grasshopper Climbing if you want to see the board in action. And you can visit their brand new website at grasshopperclimbing.com to learn more and contact their sales team to find out where you can go try a board and to find out which board solution might be right for you. And if you're ready to pull the trigger on a Grasshopper board, the folks at Grasshopper are offering you guys, listeners to this podcast, $500 off when you order a fully kitted out eight by 10 foot board. That's their smallest board. And you can save even more money if you upgrade to a larger board. Just tell them I sent you or that you learned about the Grasshopper board from the Nugget podcast and they'll hook it up and save you hundreds of dollars. That's like three pairs of climbing shoes you can save just for listening to this podcast. Once again, you can check them out on Instagram at Grasshopper Climbing or at their website, grasshopperclimbing.com, and be sure to tell them I sent you. Hello, friends. Welcome to another episode of the Nugget Climbing Podcast. This is your host, Stephen Dimmitt, as always. And my guest today is Dan Varian. If you recognize that name, that's because Dan has been mentioned on the podcast a couple times. He is the co-founder of Beastmaker, the company that he started along with Ned Feely, making some of the most popular hangboards in the world. I'm sure you've seen the Beastmaker hangboards And if you enjoyed my episode with Ned, I'm sure you'll love this conversation with Dan as well. These guys started a hangboard company because they are total geeks about finger training, and that really comes through in this conversation. This is probably the geekiest conversation I've ever had on the podcast about finger training. I found it super useful, and if you're a geek like me, you'll love this one. If you're sick of hearing about finger training, you can probably skip this one. That's okay. It's not for everybody. But yeah. Dan's amazing. He's also an incredibly high-level boulderer himself. He's incredibly accomplished. I talk about some of his accomplishments in the start of the episode, so I won't cover them too much here. But this guy does it all when it comes to bouldering. He's put up tons of hard first descents, really impressive, scary, high balls, you name it. He's really, really well-rounded and really consistent with his bouldering, and he knows what he's talking about. He also spent a bunch of years coaching Aiden Roberts, who is an up-and-coming crusher from the UK, one of the strongest boulderers in the world. And we talked about some of the things that Dan has now learned from Aiden in this conversation. But the bulk of this conversation was actually about a finger strength test that Dan had me do before doing this interview. Dan had me test every single one of my fingers individually in both a full crimped position and an open hand position using a sling and lifting weights off the floor, one finger at a time. I did that a couple weeks before doing this interview, sent Dan the results, and then that's a lot of what we talked about. His takeaways from my results, the implications for me, and his recommendations for me. He found that I have two lazy fingers, and so we talked a lot about how to activate lazy fingers that aren't contributing to your grip. So even though this was specific to me, if you're a geek about finger training and you're frustrated or struggling with your finger strength training, I think you'll find something really useful in this conversation. And that reminds me, Dan was also mentioned in the Neil Gresham interview. Dan is the guy that helped Neil Gresham discover some of the weaknesses in his own finger strength and helped him correct them and to work on his half crimp and eventually get that to be balanced with his other grips. That's something that Neil and I talked about in that interview, and Dan is the guy that helped him. So yeah, a super geeky deep dive into finger training in this conversation. We jumped around, covered a couple other topics, but that was the meat of it. And with that, I think we'll dive in. 
please enjoy this deep dive into all things finger training with Dan Varian. How's it going, man? Yeah, good. Good. You're in a different spot than last time. Oh, no. oh <laughs> never mind. <laughs> nice. Oh, that's a very comfy looking couch to have in your training room. That's great. Yeah, we just uh, sh- I shuffle all the cushions about just to um, the girls make tunnels out of them and play around. And yeah, you can just like modular room, isn't it? So, uh, yeah, keep it keep it comfy. But I've just been on the fingerboard and stuff just to try and yeah get get some references. Awesome. So, uh, I love that's it. Like that, the piano that's up there. <laughs> Man, what a great oh. room. I also think it's really funny that you don't have any sort of, like, you just have a pile of couch cushions on the floor for your crash mats. Yeah. I, I think that's pretty pretty funny, given, like, how long you've been doing this. Oh, it's uh, sticking with the kind of British uh, out the skip spirit there. They're all, like, leftovers. When we moved into this house, we got left two sofas. So I just took all the cushions, and then the main thing where we've kept them is... Uh, like I've got a full size gym mat in the garage still, but um, yeah, it's uh, these work really well. Just being able to move to one side, do some stuff on the floor, and uh, all pile up and make dens. You know, you can't make a den out of a a full if you get a proper boulder mat in. So <laughs> think about the kids. I love it. That's awesome. I prefer making dens and crawling through tunnels nowadays versus climbing. <laughs> than actually using the board for training. I love it. That's awesome, man. It's good to see you again. I have been uh, very excited about this because it, I think it promises to be a very valuable conversation for me in particular. And hopefully a lot of, you know, everyone else listening to this gets something out of it too. But yeah, it's good to see you. How are you doing? Yeah, good. I've, uh, yeah, I thought, it was, I thought it'd just be something fun. And, uh, and actually... Yeah, I'm really interested in to chat about the uh, test you did, and uh, yeah, hopefully that'll it'll be um, insightful for you. But other people can just sort of vicariously bounce off it and think, "Oh, that resonates," or maybe they just think I'm full of rubbish. <laughs> well, yeah, well, let's talk about that. I mean, I think they'll have a hard time thinking you're full of rubbish after they know you're a little bit about your resume. And um, I want to take a few minutes just to kind of create the context for this conversation, even though we're going to talk about something really specific here. Actually, I have no idea where this is going to go. I have enough notes in front of me, Dan, to probably talk for about four hours. So we'll see what, <laughs> we'll see what happens. Yeah, I don't want to, I'm, bed at seven, so. totally. Yeah. I'm already, I'm already thinking we're going to have to do a couple of these, um, but you made it easy for me. We talked for a couple hours uh, a few weeks ago and you were so interested in this one specific part of your own training that you've been focusing on, things that you've learned from working with Aiden Roberts and observed from him and how that's influenced your own climbing. And so you gave me this finger test to do. And it, I'm so excited. I'm, I did the test. I sent you the results. I'm so excited to geek out because we haven't really talked about it yet. But I want to take a few minutes just to give people a little bit of background. Um, I almost get 
intimidated or it's almost difficult to prepare for an interview with someone like you because there's so many things we could talk about. Like we could have had a two hour conversation about first ascents and your process for finding boulders and developing. We could have talked about your mindset for highballs because you've done some really difficult, really scary font style stuff way off the deck. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe you've done like 200 first ascents, eight A and harder. Is that right? Uh, yeah, thereabouts. I stopped counting exactly a while ago. Um, I'd have to add them up, but it'll it'll be about there. That's amazing, man. So for Americans listening, V11 or harder, Dan's done 200 plus roughly first ascents, V11 and harder, which is just amazing. And, and then you also... Go ahead. They're all in esoteric backwaters. No one cares about (laughs) how much rock there is in the world. Yeah. Well, it's, I mean, it's super impressive nonetheless. And I bring that up, I mean, to give you credibility, but also just to provide some context, because this is probably going to be the most geeky finger training conversation I've ever had on the podcast, which is saying something. I've done a lot of these. Um, But just knowing that you have the rock experience and that you've devoted so much time to rock. Um, you also started Beastmaker with Ned Feely and have one of the most popular hangboard companies in the world. All that to say, like, you know, we could we could be talking about so many things and we could be talking about your tactics and your bouldering strategy and things like that. So let's start with let's start with Aiden Roberts, actually. I think that'd be a really interesting place to start. I want you to tell me a little bit about who Aiden is for people that don't know and what your connection to him is. And what was it that you started to notice about his climbing and specifically the way that he uses his fingers when crimping that made this whole conversation and this topic so interesting to you? All right. So um, I guess with the but with the finger training, um, I, I did a little bit of it before I met Aiden. It just really helped unravel our differences. Uh, and so... Um, but and 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 I sort of solidified it with uh, him and other people up in Cumbria because I've moved away. Um, bit of geography background, like I I did live in Sheffield for quite a few years, six years, and um, I met my wife and we moved further north back to nearer where we both grew up, which is in like the north of England where no one lives comparatively compared to the south. Uh, but there's a lot of rock up here, so it's good fun, and. Um, Luckily for me, there's still lots of keen rock climbers out here. And Aiden was one of those climbers I met when uh, he was really young. He was like 14, I think, when I first met him. How old is he now? Uh, oh, good question. I think Aiden is 23 now. Okay. Yeah. And how old are you, Dan? 35. 35? Okay. Getting there. Getting there. I'm 33. So, yeah, same, you know. Same range. Yeah. <laughs> Still getting better though. And I, it sounds like you are too. So yeah, plenty of hard climbing ahead. Yeah. It's, uh, I'm, I'm just fighting the decline, mate, with the kids. <laughs> mm. um, but uh, I, I'm having to get smarter. And uh, and a lot of this feeds into, they all tie together. So I've got less time nowadays. So I'm having to zone in on things. And with the little time that I have now, it's fun trying to play the training game. Because actually, I've been in the position in my early 20s after uni where I had all the week to lay out my training and do tons of stuff. And that, you know, back in the mid 2000s and early 2000s, you know, putting up hard stuff around Sheffield, 
I was in that position and now I'm in the position where I'm lucky if I get an hour and a half after the kids are in bed before I'm too tired and I get like a day on the weekend but I'd like to go out that day so it has to be raining really um uh, so yeah it's it's changed over the years but I'm I'm zoning in so to keep it on track with kind of like the finger mapping essentially I'm always in favor of detail over vagueness just because it sets you off and the reason why I wanted to just kind of because obviously your podcast is training related but what I like is um it also seems to follow a little bit of your own journey through climbing and like mm. you you speak to guests and then you go you go away and you try stuff and see if it works and I like I like that process because that fits my kind of own anecdotal anecdotal um you know, you just sort of tinker and see what works for you. And because not everybody's advice, you know, we, we all do things similarly, but also different enough to um, to create those differences that, that mean we're not all on camp sport day in, day out, and we're not all doing four by fours and things like that. And um, there's, there's enough variance in the niche to uh, to create like quite different athletes. And, and you know, that's something. Uh, Ned said in his book really well is, um, you know, if if we all had the perfect answer by now, like they do for, I mean, like a lot of strength sports and things are a bit more defined, like how if you want to PB on your deadlift, the manner in which you build up to it and focus on it will likely have a lot less variance than, say, trying to climb your first AA boulder mm. because that could be anything, you know, anything. could be dual could be rainbow rocket dubious <laughs> but it could be um uh you know like i don't know a 30 move traverse mm. so the variance in climate is massive depending on the goal and then obviously that sets our training just into sort of a uh, just this um split stream of so many different paths to try and arrive at the same place so um yeah so with with fingers, it's uh, wh what I like to look at is basically how the strength flows through your hand because it's our starting point. And I thought with this podcast, it it should be it should always be the starting point of people's training. Um, and what kind of bugs me is this vagueness of like, oh, just chuck a load of weight on and hang on an edge, and you'll get better, which is true. But it's like blunderbuss and rifle, and um, like. It, to me, the the foundations of what lies in your hand should be established before you do that, because should you be provided with that knowledge, um, hopefully you could just get better quicker, basically, mm. <laughs> which is what people really want to do when they're training. It's like they don't want to, if you said, oh, you can spend 10 years and make slow progress, or you can spend like <laughs> two years and make faster progress. Who's going to pick the, the first option, you know? Right. Unless you really enjoy what you're doing and sort of growing slowly. Um, and I think through climbing in general, if you look back through the history, essentially that's all we've done. We've got gradually smarter in the way we train and what we pay attention to. And that's how we're standing on the shoulders of past generations and progressing. And I still think there's plenty of legroom in it. I don't think, you know, this is still a fledgling sport the scientific studies into how we train at you know scant compared to other olympic sports right um, 
Um, but what I do love is um, the fact that that's still full of tinkering. So I can sit up here away, you know, in my own little quiet part of the world with just a few mates, but we can make fun progress. And um, Aiden's just like ridiculously surpassed what <laughs> someone <laughs> paid attention to those training things. And, like he's, he's built on loads of things. So like, I'm not, I wouldn't want to take credit for Aiden's ability and that he's done so much himself and I'm learning from him now. So it's like, it's, it's a reversal of the process in terms of many things. Um, but what I think we both really share in common is attention to detail and we can communicate really well with it and, uh, and it works like I am getting better at the specific things I want to get better at because I can have a quick chat and look up, I'm lucky enough to sort of climb with my, my mate but um, back when I was in Sheffield it's the same thing and that's one thing I'd really stress to people is that if you can make the effort to train with people that are like-minded or similar abilities you don't even have to like them <laughs> <laughs> people, people probably don't like me but um they'll, they'll put up with me they might because it might learn the other thing I don't know but um he seemed like a friendly guy it's it's really beneficial you know it's uh like I, I learned so much when I was training with Ned and vice versa, and we, mm. we, we fed off each other. And our house in general then was great because I, I also lived with Dave Mason when uh, after uni in Sheffield. Oh no way! Really good climber called Ben Thompson. So we had like a great house to to bounce around with, um, uh, just like you know how we were training and just the general buzz when you sat on the couch and what you're discussing. You don't realise at the time, but it's actually it was it was great fun and you learn a lot and and yeah just that that's invaluable so it's been nice to have people up here and it's not not just Aiden there's a lot of other good climbers up here um some of which it, it, it doesn't tend it's quite hard to live where I do and um Aiden's also quite lucky in that he's grown up here so you know some parts of the world are just trickier to to live in if you can't get the job established and get the other parts of life that you want to Mm. to do to settle and um and that's why uh, i bet loads of people would love to live in rocklands but mm. they're not making it work you know it's, right no jobs and things like that so we're quite we are quite lucky to be where we are and the other thing that is very important about this area which should probably be stressed is just how many rock types we have um which is quite different and unique to even other parts of the UK, which we already have loads of rock types, but I think we have almost every rock type at our disposal. So for, wow. if I want to climb on granite that's similar to Little Cottonwood, I've got like areas in the Lake Districts which are like there's nowhere near the quantity, but there are just little pockets of quality and granite's granite, you know. It's, so there's there's been some really good problems over there that I've got to enjoy um, over the years and then Sandstone, I'm spoiled for loads of good sandstone, gritstone, slate, limestone, different volcanics, andesites, rhyolites. Um, so, and and they're the the volcanic rock types are closer. They're more like central Lake District, and that's where Aiden lives. So we we live in slightly different parts of the county, but in American terms, we're like next door neighbours. <laughs> we're, we're only like forty minutes from each other. Okay, okay, pretty close. Let me jump in. Um, this, I mean, this is amazing, but I want to get back to Aiden and the high angle crimp thing. Um, 
and hear a little bit more about that. But I want to fill in a little context about some of the things you just touched on. So I love your blunderbuss rifle analogy and actually just listened to the interview you did on Lattice just to refresh that for me. Um, I think that oh, came yeah. out last month in July. So, um, and a great conversation for people that want to learn more about you. But yeah, so you you were basically saying like, you know, the blunderbuss approach is we go to the climbing gym and we climb and we do hit on things in our fingers that make us stronger. But, you know, the contrast is is getting on the fingerboard and doing something very, very specific. And that's more like the precision of having a rifle. And it's, I love that. And you've basically done that again. You know, now you're thinking about general fingerboarding as the blunderbuss and you've made your finger training much, much more specific, which is really interesting to me in particular because I have these, uh, and I talk about this ad nauseum on the podcast, but I have these like major weaknesses in certain grip types and in my finger strength. And after talking to Ned, it's really become a lot more clear to me that just active gripping in general is something that I have really neglected and really struggle with and, and could really benefit from focusing on um, because I've always learned, I've always climbed really passively. I've always relied on friction and, you know, nuancing all the handholds and hanging on my skin as much as possible and things like that. Um, so I think you're going to be able to provide me some tools to focus my training on that. But getting back to Aiden, I, um, one thing I wanted to mention is that you coached him for a long time. And, yeah, uh, I mean, the only person I've ever coached. The only person you've ever coached, okay, yeah. Yeah, I'm not a coach. But, okay, um, okay. Uh, in a proper Cumbrian casual way. Yeah, I um, I did a couple of years, more mentoring, really, and um, just kind of, yeah, like a couple of years of mentoring. Um, uh, maybe, I can't remember how many years it was. No, but we, we, it's kind of ongoing. It's just more casual now. So yeah. it was only like, it's like official for a, a couple of years, but actually, I was uh, after a while. I was like, "Let's just, I can't bother charging you anymore. Just, we'll just crack on and go out climbing." And uh, and and yeah, to be honest, you should probably charge me now. <laughs> um, but uh, I mean, that's that's what's co- well, what's been nice is actually, if you look at it this way, it's just kind of like I think he's taken all the good points and uh, maybe some of the good advice and ignored all the stupid things I told him and done them better <laughs> wow. and, uh, and, cool. got himself, and got himself like a lot better base in terms of an athletic more balanced base which all the younger climbers seem to be doing now whereas I'm old enough to have been more about just going climbing and trying hard and I'm scrabbling hard in my 30s to try and achieve a bit more balance just to avoid injury and things like that mm. um, but uh, yeah so for through that process, uh, we've learned a lot. So if you want to talk about um, crimp angles and things and finger power, I don't know if it stems from what genu- what like this is what's fascinating to me in climbing is what everyone finds their niche. Um, I'm really interested to ask you a bunch of things actually about how you got into climbing because with your finger strength stuff, um, I'll tell you what, I'll wrap this up and then if we move on to that, I'll be dead interested. Because um <laughs> Yeah. Uh, you, you say you're dead in a passive um hangs and things. And I just wonder if your path into climbing was um more through like a slow methodical movement on sport routes and things and just like a bit slower paced. To me, that would be reflected in contact strength and the way 
certain aspects of your finger strength have developed. A bit like in our last conversation when I was telling you about the old trad climbers and things. Because actually that's a really unique and different path into climbing than most people have nowadays, which is explosive gym boulders and mm-hmm. things like that. Uh, so, But anyways, to, to kind of finish the point on the differences, um, I think you can only really, with the, the finger sling test you went away and did after our last conversation, you can pick through a lot of differences and details that I just think help establish a nice foundation. And then when you get kind of freaky strong climbers, I think you can really pull out the beginnings of why they're different mm. through that test because we always connect through the hands. And if, if it might not show in the fingers, if, um, but that in itself is data. Um, it, it, that would tell me, oh, they might have really strong wrists to climb on sandstone. They're amazing at compression. They've got body power. And that's how you get around it. Whereas for some climbers, it's like, it's a huge weapon. And, and actually for me, I've probably been over-reliant on pretty strong fingers and underdeveloped in loads of other aspects, which is why, like, you know, I'm not like an athletic physique and I've probably, like, got the most laugh I have had in the past, like, for doing, uh, I don't know, 8B pluses back in Sheffield and things when with, like, you know, muffin top style body fat. <laughs> and um, just, like... I'm not like, I've never been like, uh, sort of just like a, a sort of Reiki Adonis of, of physique uh, to me because of the way I've approached climbing and it's just gone out climbing and, and my strengths. Um, I'm a pure outdoor climber. I just kind of want to be out on the rocks. And, um, but I, I also take training seriously because of the gaps between the rocks being a huge draw and a focus and where I've grown up. I've had been lucky enough to have lots of good climbers in the area, um, you know, like uh, really good ex-World Cup climbers and outdoor boulders um, have put up lots of problems I've been able to repeat. So, and, and we're lucky in the UK to have had that history from, um, you know, even you know, Pete Curtin, uh, Jerry Moffat, Ben Moon, Malcolm Smith, Andy Earl have all had a huge influence in the, the north of the UK mm. um, on the boulders. Um, and then to uh be able to sort of draw from their training influences it's it, it's been great but uh, for me it's always been oh well how can i solve the remaining gaps if i'm going to keep outdoor climbing which mm. locally that's what you have to do so you get forced to develop the skills to solve the remaining gaps and locally aiden's just carried on with that process in the lakes um, but the rate that he's hoovered them up has been really staggering really yeah um, but it's with these special attributes. And then just to take it on, like, so to go crunch some data, which data, which people do love, like in a high angle pinky sling, I'd say he's probably got the world record for like lifting on with the end of your pinky. And that's like close nigh on 20 kilos, like <laughs> solid 19. And then you'll know wow. from your own test, like just how much extra power and how hard that feels when the weight doesn't lift off the floor. Um, now what was really exciting for me just then is because I wanted to just make sure I had a decent frame of reference because I haven't done any of these tests in a little while. I just lifted 10 kilos off the floor with my pinky like it wasn't there. So it shows me my, because I used to like warm up below that and just make sure, whereas I just sort of started at that way just to see. And um, 
yeah, so the gains over the years from when I first started coaching Aiden, when actually my pinky was very similar strength to yours in your test, which I think came out around eight or nine kilos, wasn't it? And um, sorry to Americans for using kilos. I can't do, <laughs> it's okay. I'll, I'll convert. Quickly. Yeah. Um, yeah, in, in those years, by a bit of targeted training, I'm now up to sort of, and I'm not, I'm, a, I'm quite far off my best at the minute for various reasons, lots of DIY and just general um, uh, lack of like proper on it training. Um, but yeah, no, I was, I was really happy in that sort of 13 went up fine. And I was like, oh, well, that'll do for today just for like frame of reference case. And because um, that's already like a, a big win for me. So actually, yeah. And, and that's what I think these tests, I don't think this is a great way of training, but I think it's a fascinating way of gaining insight and checking that things are working um, okay let me let me jump in we've got we owe our listeners a bunch of context before we get too swept away in this thing um so just to close the loop on aiden roberts for people that don't know who this guy is and aiden if you're listening i would love to have you on the show um i'm so inspired by you but yeah so aiden's in his early 20s and he's really becoming clearly one of the best boulderers in the world he's so strong he's particularly good at really small hold crimp climbing and uh, he's training for burden of dreams right now the nolly hookah title v17 and he's it definitely seems like he's got a shot at doing this thing so he's he's at that level and um one thing i want you to define really quickly dan because we didn't talk about this i hadn't really heard the term actually before i talked to you it's i can kind of intuit what it means but i know some people are going to be confused but what is a high angle crimp and what is it that you see when Aiden climbs? Um, how does it express when Aiden climbs, if that makes sense? That's the funny thing about climbing, isn't it? Everyone's got their own terminology for stuff a little bit because it's still niche enough that these things are developing in their own separate clusters. Um, so, um, like, basically, we discount the thumb in almost all of our training. And once you discount the thumb, you have loads of options of finger angles. Whereas so people often just talk about full crimp and half crimp. But the problem with that is there's too many, there's too much differentiation. And there's a there's a whole world of difference between taking your thumb off and putting it on. And and actually when it's off, um and most people when they half crimp will never bend their pinky. And the pinky is one of the key focal points of um transferring power in a in a crimp position and the reason why that is is in terms of pinky and index which can also get lazy and go into a chisel is it all depends on load load capacity and access to the input in the hold and a lot of this depends on loci so at what point the hold is out from your body and then that depends on what grip is useful. But also as the grip comes in, how quick you want to move all depends on your load capacity of your fingers in a high angle position. So the ability to access the input in the back of the hold. If you're not doing that and you're dragging over the front of the hold and generating power by pulling underneath and through it, you won't be able to move above the hold with control. So what people tend to do that climb in that style is load up and then move dynamically hold to hold and sort of explode and flick up there and then catch the other one and that's great if your fingers can take a high amount of load in a non-failure grip 
So chisel or drag tends to be those grips. And if you're really lucky, you'll be one of the people that can maybe hang large amounts above your body weight uh, in a half grip position, which is also incredibly useful. And there's the, there's loads of ways that um, not loads of ways, but there is there are many ways of achieving like great finger strength, and that reflects on your style. So I know good eight C boulders that don't have a very strong pinky, but there's often like silver bullet attributes that just mean they can walk up to problems and and nail them. So with regards to your results, like you're kind of missing two silver bullets. But you've got some really other. You've got some other great attributes and balances that people would kill to have. Mm. Um, but so one just classic um, thing which a lot of good climbers have is so that kind of half crimp dead hang, and we see loads of people hanging on one arm on fingerboard. Ninety percent of the time, the pinky's taking at least twenty-five to thirty kilos of their body weight because it's straight, and then the other bent fingers make up the rest. And so that that pinky mono ability, which then you see people doing, oh, I can do pinky mono front levers. It's like, yeah, no shit, because all your dead hanging has been like essentially training your pinky to hang in a mono position. It's like it's your other fingers that'll be crapping like a half grip most of the time. And that's so like you can overgeneralize like that, and it's quite true. But then you can meet people, you know, like uh, I've spoken to Jim Pope a bit, and he actually has a weak pinky and confront free half crimp that hang but struggles to get much out of his pinky mm. and it's just the way people develop as they go as they climb and and this is why i wanted to do that test with you to sort of discuss some actual useful stuff hopefully because um you can go through life and this is like everything you can if you just kind of skip past the intricacies and the analytics and the details and you can just go training and, um it's great fun it, it, like it it's really good fun and uh but you might miss massive black holes mm. and um it's quite obvious sometimes that because like once you get into this type of uh, way of looking at details um it starts to explain things and then you can't like uh you can't magic that strength so i can't just trick a test and like lift over 15 kilos with my pinky in like a in a crimp in a sling that power is just not there but then when i go to put that power on on a problem it will show up that i'm weaker on crimps like i can't trick it what i mm. can do is try and use my styles and attributes to trick the problem and to climb on the rock in that style but if i want to climb <coughs> sorry in a slow and control and be able to grab all the holds precisely like my young friend from the lakes, um, and look like a sort of a hydraulic uh, rock destroyer. Then, uh, <laughs> the, like the rock, like if you're if if there's small holds and uh, rock sees Aiden coming at the minute, then it's you know it's just gonna think, ah oh, shit, I should I should have gone with the vague, I should have gone with the vague features. Like this, this, <laughs> this guy's got me. Um, it really is the case. Like at the moment, it's just mental unstoppable on cramps that's what's cool about climbing though like there's so many styles and attributes that all 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 we have to do is like trap aiden in a little tiger pit with um loads of font aa dinos to get out and he's stuck in there for life so, <laughs> yeah. i love it okay let me jump in again i'm i'm gonna um 
say some things back to you to make sure I'm understanding it correctly and, and fill in some uh, gaps for listeners. So I'll define the high angle crimp thing um, in my own words, and you can tell me if I'm if I'm getting it right. Um, so yeah, for people listening, imagine that your hand is in a full crimp position. You can wrap your thumb if you want to. The high angle crimp is like the most aggressive crimp you would ever use. So every single finger is bent at a 90 degree at the pip joint, including your pinky. It's really aggressive. Your fingertips are almost pointed downward. And you yeah, would you use match that. The, match the in-cut, sorry. Um, so if it's a really in-cut hold, your knuckles will be hitting against the wall mm -hmm. because you'll be, you're accessing whatever the in-cut is. So if you're talking like 45, 55 degree in-cut in a micro crimp, you just go up to that angle and then access it so you can pull outwards like it's a jug. Um, the problem for most people is your grip will fail mm -hmm. because it will, there's too many small muscles. And if you haven't trained it, if it's not been your style for many years, it will just fail and you'll flop back onto a half crimp with likely a pinky or a chisel straight, which because of the input, you'll still snag on it. But yeah, that's, um, so the, there's no real definition of the angle. Um, I would just say what what I'm saying is you're getting into the back of the hold. Yeah, you're getting into the back of the hold so you can pull outward and use that leverage. And what you were saying about the pinky before is that most of our training, um, just globally as a climbing community, people that are obsessed with trying to hang one arm on your beast maker center edge, uh, <laughs> you know, we, we all love the half crimp position and a lot of people just train in that position. But what Dan's saying is that for most of us, just the shorter length of our pinky will necessitate that the pinky's in an open position when we're half crimping. And so we're essentially, no matter how much finger training we're doing, we're only ever training our pinky to be straight and never crimped. And um, so I want to take a second to describe the sling test that you had me do, and then we can just dive right into it. So what, yeah, Dan, yeah. what Dan had me do, um, I took a 12 mil sling, and this is just like a Alpine runner that I had in my in my bag, attached a carabiner to it, looped that around a kettlebell, and then attached the sling, just slung it over the tip of one finger. So for instance, my index finger just right over the tip as if I were pulling on a small, you know, 10 mil edge or something like that, a small little crimp. And then put my finger in a aggressive crimp position and then try to lift the kettlebell off the floor and then do that with every single finger and just keep going up in the weights until I can't lift the kettlebell off the floor anymore. So essentially isolating every single one of my eight fingers, I didn't do this with my thumbs, um, in a isolated crimp position. So I'm testing every single finger on their own in a crimp position. And Dan's thinking is that that, will, that would help me discover how the distribution of the load is coming across my different fingers. So basically how each finger is contributing to my finger strength. If I'm crimping an edge with four fingers, you know, what's the percentage of each, how is each finger contributing to the overall load? Like what percentage of my weight is it taking? So it was super interesting going back to what you said about Aiden, when I crimped with my pinky and lifted a kettlebell off the floor using the sling, I think my max was 20 pounds, which is 9.1 kilos. And you said that Aiden can do 20 kilos, so 44 pounds, about twice where I'm at. So just imagine, like, he's literally, his pinkies are twice as strong as mine. And then I'm sure all of his other fingers are stronger too. But 
so yeah, I, that, I did that, this that, test. Sorry, um, sorry that, that was like two years old as well. So okay, he's probably even stronger he, he might now. Be <laughs> yeah, sorry, right. So yeah, I I um I went through this entire test. I made a spreadsheet with my results. I will share that for you guys in the show notes so you can see it. And um, what do you think we should do, Dan? Should we talk about my results, share the numbers, and then dive into what they mean, or how do you how do you want to go from here, or where do you want to go from here? Should I just break down some key points? Or, yes, please. And then, and so first, I'll ask: Did you learn anything? And what do you think? Do you think differently? Or has has this confirmed what you thought about your hands? Or has it flagged up anything? I think it has confirmed what I thought about my hands, um, which is that they're they're quite balanced. I got the exact same results with my right and left hand. And there were a couple lifts that were marginally harder with my left hand, but it, it ultimately came out to the same amount of weight lifted off the floor. And if I tried to go any heavier... Um, that was my max. It just felt slightly harder with my left hand, slightly more desperate. I mean, I'm pretty far, just crunching the numbers and seeing, you know, if you add them all up to see like how much weight would I theoretically be able to hold with one hand in a crimp position, it's very far off from body weight, which is not a surprise to me at all. You know, I'm, I'm 60 pounds away theoretically from being able to hang from one hand on a small crimp. Um, but you get, you kind of get there on chisel. It, mm. When you're in, which um, is open for, I think a lot of Americans call it, don't they? Um, yeah. So chisel, I, I actually misunderstood chisel for a long time, but yeah, it's basically open for where your index and your pinky are both straight, and then your middle two fingers are kind of half crimped. Yeah. One thing I will say actually is um, we ba- like the way I don't quite have the data. I should have said slide the sling back as well to the. Um, pip knuckle a bit like the open-handed test and that would give you date a bit better data on half crimp because i've kind of got re- good insight on you on kind of high angle stuff which i think is really important especially if you're climbing outside and the open data is very um good and true as well but i think you would have got slightly higher loads you would possibly a lot higher loads by sliding that back and just having a slightly more open finger angle which would be your half crimp representation. So if you wanted to do that afterwards, you might um, get sort of a bit more insight as to um, if anything changes. Because one one of the insights and one of the things I really picked up on uh, with your data was you've got two lazy fingers which are lacking silver bullets. Okay. One is your middle finger should be pulling. Your middle finger's just kind of hanging with the crew and needs to step up its game. Hmm. Um, okay. It's just like out with the boys and whatever <laughs> they do, it does. Um, whereas it needs to be like the star player and the, the um, what do you Americans call the, uh, the quarterback? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> so nice. The middle finger should always be quite a bit stronger. I think in most people I've kind of mucked about with over the years, middle finger can normally punch pretty high for me it was interesting that your middle didn't have loads of distance like clear water in terms of weight it can pull above the ring and the index mm. um, now you'd, you'd expect pinky to be weak but actually i think so you're on the flip side i think your pinky in a crimp position is actually pretty strong for where you're at at the minute and um, i was pretty impressed by 
in general, you've got a really good load spread across your hand, which is great uh, for like kind of evenly loading through small crimps. But you sell yourself short because the middle finger and the probably the ring would be the next one I would pick to sort of that should be targeted. It could be the index, depending on like they are a little bit interchangeable. But certainly the middle finger to me, I would say that in people that say would often test with a similar amount of pinky strength, I might even see like 10 kilos more strength in their middle finger. Wow. So like that level of pinky strength that you've got. So that's what makes me think, actually, there's something going on with the way your middle finger is being stimulated through, you know, how you've learned to climb, how your nerves, your sort of that pathway of how you fire through your hand, which is meaning that like the, that's why you're sort of missing a part of the load. Now, the other part of the load that's missing is when that pinky goes straight. That's probably the bigger one is actually... Um, that could be pulling like 20 kilos more uh, straight, which to me reflects. Now, this is the interesting thing because we've already touched on this in that on a lot of holds outside that wouldn't translate directly. But in terms of training goals, it would translate really well on the fingerboard and on steep boards. So your moon boards and your killer boards. And if someone's got one of our bespoke ones, <laughs> our authentic uh, <laughs> boards are um yeah the uh so like the the pinky is an interesting one because i would how you address that entirely depends on what your goals are and i don't know them at the minute so yeah like what what do you just want to kind of some people just want to improve and then get better at kind of just get stronger and things on some people are all about kind of adapting to what you know, is on the rock and on what their goals are specifically. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Once again, for people that are curious about the numbers, I'll share my spreadsheet so you can just see how I tested. Um, I want to, I'll, I'll answer your question. I will get to that in one second, <clears throat> but just to paint a little bit more of a picture. Um, I, so I had these kettlebells and I was going up in kettlebells testing each finger. I also had a one kilogram weight, which is two, actually I had a 2.5 pound weight, which is just over one kilo. And I had a 1.25 pound weight, which is about half a kilo. Um, so I had those as well. And I would attach those to the kettlebells to, to make these jumps smaller um, and make the results a little bit more specific. But then for people listening, I'll just share the percentages so if you, if I was in a full crimp position and, you know, the, the most I could pull potentially with all four fingers is about 112 pounds, 51 kilos, 22% of that is coming from my index, 32% of that is coming from my middle, 28% coming from my ring and 18% coming from my pinky. And so this is really interesting. What Dan is saying that is that if, um, if my middle was as strong as he would expect it to be relative to my pinky, it should be, you know, pulling 40, 50% or something of my weight and, and be, um, you know, 10 kilos more than it is. So anyway, just wanted to share that real quick. And then now I've, yeah. <laughs> I've forgotten your question. <laughs> well, like what, what are my you goals? training for? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So no, this is, this is really good. This is really important. And um, I do have specific goals. I really want to climb. I, I really want to climb some 514s. 
I mean, I, I do just want to get better. That's the short answer. But what I have noticed is that the limiting factor for me always seems to come down to something that's pretty basic. It's that type of finger strength that you use when you're climbing on a board. It's that active finger strength. It's the ability to hang a pretty good edge, like a one pad edge with a lot of weight on your hands. You know, some of the sport climbs that I've been trying around St. George, the limiting factors are not that complicated. You know, I just need to be able to hang on some of those holds with a a lower percentage of my max so that I can do more moves in a row or so that I can do a hard clip and then make the next move or things like that. And um, that's starting to express it in my bouldering as well. Like the boulders that I want to do, um, I think I just need stronger fingers to be able to do them. And every time I've done any sort of finger strength testing, I'm usually performing at a higher grade in bouldering and in sport climbing than you would expect based on my finger strength. And especially when it comes to like loading up a half crimp or something on a decent edge. Um, yeah. And to, and to take you back further. So you asked the question about where I came from in my climbing, a lot of my early climbing, it wasn't sport climbing, but it was actually very slow controlled climbing. I climbed in a gym that was really old school. Um, everything was vertical up to like 10 degrees overhanging, lots of old greasy, like small crimps and things like that. And um, I just moved like a sloth. You know, I started climbing at 18 years old and I had a decent amount of body strength. Um, I had a background in some weightlifting and some other sports and things. So my fingers were always the limiting thing, but I could compensate by moving really, really slow and controlled and like take my time to get the hold perfectly, you know? And um, and I've always climbed that way. And then that was paired with climbing in on granite in Leavenworth, Washington, which is very featurey. It's a lot of squeezing. It's a lot of compression. It's a lot of tricks, you know, um, squeezing between a heel and a hand or things like that. And so that Would combination... Go ahead. Would you favor chisel on that like Leavenworth and things like that? Like open four? Yeah. Use a lot. Yeah, I think so. And and small crimps as well. Um, it's interesting. Like I always felt like I was pretty decent at small crimping, but yeah. not with a lot of weight on my hands. And then I was pretty good at open hand, but it was everything in between that felt really hard. So I remember... Uh, the first the first time I climbed on like a 40 degree wall or a 45 degree wall on decent holds, this was like a V5 in Joe's Valley. And I think I'd climbed V9 at the time. Couldn't do it. You know, I couldn't climb on like a one, one pad in cut holds in a half cramp or any sort of grip position because um, I always relied on sneaky ways to get around just hanging on my fingers, if that makes sense. No, that that's really interesting because that... Um... I would guess that um, there's a lot of things. So you know how I've said like you're missing the silver bullets in the fingers. Often climbers, if you can jump and load up a hand, you kind of need to be able to, to put that load through the hand, which is explosive and dynamic. So you, there's usually like a finger that can take a lot on a mono that's straight. And because you don't have that, you don't have like a, a finger that's punching up in the 30 kilo range. Um, that was one thing that made me think, oh, does this guy like move in kind of like a controlled trad style more? And like, <laughs> and you told me a bit about like being a, more of a technician and things. But so the other thing, which was like interesting, was yeah, the middle finger in the crimp position, but also the fact that when I sort of combined them across, 
it made me think that that would be your strongest grip would be kind of like open four because you're getting the most out of the fingers in that way in terms of grip applicability but also finger load and um but yeah but what i like it to me it's like it's kind of obvious like um you've got to find a way of stimulating that middle finger especially because that's a low-hanging fruit and if you want to kind of get either pinky monos or index monos up um i mean i can so i'm probably still warm enough to like give you a demonstration because we're a similar-ish <laughs> body weight okay um to like what are you 78 or 76 sorry man 78 yeah i'm I'm about 78 kilos so 172 pounds for people listening something like that right now yeah i'm like 77 okay but um dan's um, giving me a demonstration here what do you have set up there oh i've just got like a loading pin okay but um, i made it out of uh my fireplace something from the fireplace. <laughs> Your fireplace poker. Oh, that's great. Yeah, exactly. yeah. <laughs> and um, what have I got on here? This is 20. 20 keys. And um, I'll just use that. So, yeah, this is more like personal training session than podcast stuff, but hopefully people will um, get the gist. Yeah. I've got 20 keys on there underneath. Okay. And um if I put that on one pad, I'll do it on my left. But really this like twenty five thirty, but like I could carry that around all day long. Mm. In the open position. Whereas if I go high angle, I mean that's not gonna move. Mm. It really isn't. So that just gives you, like, for that to feel relaxed for me, you know, like three to five seconds would be fine. And then, again, for the index, if I can try and be a bit stricter with where it is. But, you know, those those kind of open, relaxed loading ones, that is, like, a a really useful component in grip to develop. And um, because what you're doing is you're solving... A weight issue on the hold and um so if if your pinky can let's say loads of people will be up above 20 in it depends on body weight obviously but if you can hack out 20 to 25 kilos of your body weight then you've only got to spread the remaining 50 ish 52 across the other fingers mm-hmm. which suddenly and but because they're if you put them in a half crimp then that becomes quite tricky. And that's why we struggle to one-arm dead hang because generally, and this is where the middle finger will often pick up the slack. So for myself, um, I'm at like 28 to 30 kilos on the middle. And actually my index is kind of a bit crap compared. So like I struggle to get over 15. So there's a huge imbalance between my middle finger and my index. And Mm. that's why in the past few years I've been slowly targeting my index and it has it has improved and um and that's really helped on but uh, what's what's interesting is actually i kind of was doing that for a little bit and then i've ditched it and then i've gone at a much higher knuckle angle because that translates far better to to rock and what i want to achieve outside and um 
and I've all, I've sort of binned off a lot of my so like my biological trick is the drag, which like but that's three finger open instead of four finger open. So I'm not a huge fan of chisel versus open three if I can use open three because I mm. think open three is more versatile because what it allows is the next thing that we haven't discussed, which is wrist movement. And wrist movement is key to moving. It's all very well hanging on a fingerboard or, you know, like essentially doing lifts off floor or gym lifts or whatever. But this is the problem. Whenever you isolate something, you're removing components. And if you remove the component and you forget about it, it will come back to bite you if it's been a big oversight now the oversight with grip is always the next thing in the in the chain which is the wrist and that's where these tests aren't the be all and end all because there's this whole interplay with all the other body parts um the way i break it down uh drags of rubbish open three are so rubbish in terms of outwards pull you just can't outwards pull with a drag and you you can't really lock below your shoulder with them so you're a bit stuck on rock types. But if you go to font, everything's a giant ball or an egg. You know, like <laughs> barely anything is um, concave. Everything's mm. convex. So it, it's all like bending away from you. And that's why the shoulders and the compression and the elbows explode for people. That's like just trying to sum up and stereotype one style of climbing that hopefully people will understand. But obviously each area have it, has its own you know, like granite isn't just granite, is it it varies worldwide slightly depending on the grain size and and the surface features. Some granite's really blank and just relies on compression. Like your coastal granites tend to be much more gran um much blanker. And then if you've had a lot of freeze thaw and fracturing, you might have a bit more patina, especially in the desert areas like in the USA there where you've got a lot of aridity and dryness, you get more of that patina shattering, which mm -hmm. creates um, so you get small holds and um, and then yeah glaciation things like that there's so much that forms our rocks and um, but that all interplays with how we can climb up them and the two are directly linked so if you uh, and and so the way that feeds back into grip is um, like our style is determined by kind of what what we want to use but if you want just some like absolute bankers you know like that's going to work then you talk in your half crimp pinky straight three bent because that's really versatile but if you want to top trumps that this is my current thinking then for loads of rock types especially bouldering um then you get the knuckle up you get access to the back of the in-cut and suddenly everything's like you're climbing on jugs <laughs> and then however there's loads of caveats so with your root climbing, specializing in a grip which has a much higher failure potential, such as high angle crimp, probably won't do you as many favors as getting good at the um, grips that can take higher loads without failing for longer. Because often in sport climbing, because you can use the rest of your body uh, to displace load and to flow through the move, then all you're really looking for is for your grip not to fail. Whereas with bouldering, you might be, you're trying to find like the blankest, hardest way up thing, or like you're, you're going to your limit a bit more. So there is a good chance the grip will fail. So if, um, but in, in a power related setting, 
so I'm just trying to explain things through um, through the hand and finger power rather than, you know, it's a bold problem, it's a root type of thing. Mm. But um, how that would reflect on your training personally is I would say for your root climbing, the pinky being straight is a high priority and um, it's probably more of a priority than it being bent. However, the middle finger being sort of slightly down on load is a priority for everything because to me that's probably that's the lowest hanging fruit like the thing to work on and then the things that you can take away of being like pretty switched on right now are actually kind of your pinky and your index are, um, are performing really well in relation to kind of the general levels and benchmarks i would expect it like you know for how far down the road you are in, in terms of climbing and niche training and um because essentially that's what we're trying to do isn't it where we could all just go to the gym and do the three power lifts if it was going to pay off into <laughs> uh, really good climbing results but unfortunately right. like, we've got to specialize so. okay let me summarize things again so uh for people listening i did the whole test the sling test in crimp positions with every finger and then i did it again in an open position for each finger, which is a little different because of just the physics of it. So you have to put the sling further up on your finger, basically turning it into like a one pad hold instead of a fingertip hold. So of course the loads are gonna go up just from that, but then also I'm, I think I'm stronger open hand. Um, so yeah, I wanna reiterate some things and make sure I'm getting everything right. So my, my pinkies in a crimp position, I was able to lift about nine kilos and then open hand pinky about 16 kilos. And so you're saying one of the standouts for you is that my open hand pinky should be closer to 20 kilos. Is that right? Yeah, like at least. At least. Yeah, you really, I would have expected it to have jumped up quite a lot. And the fact that those two are quite close, like without, if I didn't know you and I was just looking at the data at all, and you know, just, just the data, and I had to try and invent a climber, I'd be <laughs> like, well, they, they obviously, um, favor uh pulling through with the pinky bent quite a lot on small holds because it's just not taking the load on on bigger ones but that would also mean um like a, but then when i looked at the index your index was actually pr like pretty good like it's not it's it's just like doing well and uh and then i was like oh well actually if you add that into chisel that that um that works pretty well so like I, I I'm sort of inventing this climber that does like you know lots of climbing like that and and then at high angle, but then maybe like this is almost totally missing from being like a real strength. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna jump in just because people not everyone's gonna be able to see the video here. Oh, so sorry. yeah, no worries. So um, Dan was saying that he was imagining just from looking at my numbers that I would likely climb a lot in a chisel position, which is like an open four and in a small crimp or like full crimp position. And then what was missing would be the half crimp, like the in-between. You're spot on. You're exactly, you're exactly, exactly right. Yeah. Um, those are, that is how I climb. That's how I've kind of always climbed. Half crimp has always been a struggle. I've been training it honestly too for a long time now. And it just, it just seems to be a really, really slow um, aggravating journey to improve my half crimp. Um, this might be a little bit of a tangent, but I wanted to ask you this. One thing I've noticed with the half crimp for me is that my pinky 
feels like the length of my pinky, I think, is an interesting thing to think about. So if I'm in a half crimp and my index, middle, and ring fingers are all bent at a 90 at the uh, pip joint, my pinky almost feels like it's in between. Like it's not, it, it's a little bit too long to really be hanging open, but it's not long enough to be also able to to crimp up. So it feels like it's kind of stuck in this no man's land where it just can't really contribute very much. And I wonder if that's a big part of why it's weak because it's not able to pull that much when I'm training it and also why my my half crimp feels so difficult. What sort of pressure do you put through the, your pinky? So if you were to just visualize your pinky when you're hanging, um, are you trying to squish with the end of it when it is open and does like, or does your knuckle kick in in the bend or do you, and are you like relaxing in the way that it's hanging? So this is the whole passive and active thing, mm. but to just go into more nerdery. How does that play out in your pinky in terms of like, cause say if you, if I try and pick that weight up there now with 20 kilos and I try and sort of like squish it with my fingertip, I won't be able to lift it. Mm. But if I, if I have it nicely nestled on a joint and I sort of, I almost relax a bit and I lift it more with connective tissue and um, sort of pulley stickage, then that can lift a much higher load. So I'm just wondering if in your head, whether those kind of like the activation pathways of how you're trying to activate the grip, maybe there's something in that that's worth discussing. Yeah, that's interesting. There might be something there. I think... I'll, I'll pay attention to that next time I'm hanging on the hangboard. What I think I'm doing is I think I'm trying to use it like a sky hook, you know, just hang it, just skin hang it on the edge of the hold. But it feels like it's slightly too long to do that naturally if my other fingers are in a half crimp position, if that makes sense, you know? Yeah, and does it slip? Good question. Like, does it move? Uh, yeah, I'm not sure. I'll think about that next time I'm training. If it's not moving... Um, you probably have enough uh, pit, like uh, FDP pressure in it to maintain the grip. So there's there's a good way of um, anchoring it. But if it is slipping, then you're not getting the tip pressure in the FDP. And you might be, say, activating through your finger end connection rather than your crimp connection. And for me, with the lack of activation, say on your pinky lift, there's something there that maybe says, um, I mean, sort of regardless of, of of what's gone before, I think you can tackle it. Well, these things are always tackleable just by finding a good way to isolate them. And I don't necessarily think that's finger lifting off the floor, actually. Um, what I think uh, you almost need to find, this, this is what I've always done. This is why the, the Beast Maker, like we had the, progression like i never wanted people to um to train pockets because you should just train pockets like they're not important for most of the climbing but they're really important for activating your hand probably mm. so back two is like this key when you get onto bird beaks and back two people find back two horrible but then when you once you get down onto like one pad pockets you start to bird beak and once you can which is when the pinkies straight and the um, ring fingers bent mm. and once you're on back to with that with that grip formed um that translates so well into half grip but what you're doing is you're removing the the blunderbuss of stimulating the middle and the impacts and you're just 
targeting that feeling of how to form the back of the half crimp. So, and this is what I've always um, thought was a good method of training, uh, and I could be wrong. It, it does frustrate me a little bit that I think a lot of, in recent years, people have uh, pushed fingerboards that are easier to make in a Play-Doh mold, spindle molded style, but that you do away with all the vagaries, which is great because you can just say, oh yeah, just mong an edge. But actually what you're doing is you're removing your ability to visually see insight easily. And for me, I would stress that insight is a key part of breaking apart your grip in order to reform it in a way that can you can build off quicker. Hmm. Um, and so that's why, I mean, to keep it on sort of fingerboard training chat, uh, that's why the Beastmaker looks like it does. We know we like it could have just had a bunch of edges on, um, but the whole point and principle is like find out where your grip is weak, break it apart, then put it back together, um, rather than just like load the sucker up and then see when it fails. Because um, like it, it for me it works, and like I know for Ned it's worked for. And this is the problem, like I'm not a sociable person. I've just got a couple of mates that we muck around with this thing with. Uh, but like I'd back it, I'd back this horse all the way. Like mm. if someone if someone says like, oh yeah, just like, I'm all right. Open four is the way to go. I just I do one arm dead hands with an extra 30 kilos. It's like, oh, well done. I can do one arm drags with an extra 30 kilos on a less than 20 mil edge. It really doesn't help me get up Aiden's problems in the lakes. So like, <laughs> wow, that's so insanely strong, though. That's crazy. It couldn't, it couldn't be a shitter grip in the, you know, like it. It doesn't apply. It does apply on sandstone and on grip, and mm. I can really like make it, make it pay that. But for little edges, it's it's junk. It's total junk. Like um, I may as well not have it. So, um, and and that's where like there are tricks in training and there are things that make you look strong, but actually getting to the applicability and the, um, uh, try, like for me, it's, it's, it's like, it's constantly something you have to work on because also there's so many pitfalls neurologically just falling back into your normal, you know, everybody wants to climb in a certain way. We're all built a certain way. So this is a fight, you know, for me, bench pressing my body weight is a fight. I've neglected it my entire life. It's not something I'm good at. Uh, I've never bothered with it. Luckily, I don't feel like I need it for climbing, but I need it for balance. And I think it will really help me to say, get that up now. And um, But, you know, these are my problems that I need to work on. This mm. is, but everybody's got their own personal things. But what's interesting is like, so in terms of finger advice, like I'm, I feel like I'm, I know what I'm working on. I'm happy. I but in terms of like athletic advice and being an athlete, I'm awful. In terms <laughs> of diet, uh, I'm awful. I pay like I just eat what is in front of me. Pay no attention. Um, in terms of reading conditions and weather, I think I'm pretty good actually. I'll back myself on that. I did a geography degree. I've never needed a fan. Out. So you've never what needed a fan. I just <laughs> go where. <it> is. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Yeah, so um, I've digressed a bit, but um, what I'm saying is, uh, hopefully, with these insights, you can begin to. Now, it'll. There's loads of other things at play, in, like your wrist strength and how you pull through the hold. 
So actually, I think you're pretty well set on small holds in terms of, for the time being, almost in that high angle position, except for the middle finger. Um, so if I want, was going to try and quickly distill down how you would work on that theoretically, I would say for your pinky, target the back to in a way that simulates half crimp. You might want to go straight to bird beak to just avoid vagaries, but take weight off until you're at like 60 to 70% body weight, which is in a, a non-threatening grip load. And then just develop that base level with those density hangs that, you know, like you've, you've got a really good hang routine. So I would just like be adding that in. And then for the middle finger, it's prettier in some ways because I, I would say, yeah, I mean, just the natural split is if you were going to target that in the session, you probably just want to get a good angle with front two. And again, back it off to a level that's like 60 to 70% body weight, two armed. And then the main thing is to memorize what the grip feels like when you're failing on it on a moonball problem or on a steep board or something like that. Just capture that in your head, pull it back to the fingerboard and find that element of the grip position, but splitting the fingers, getting rid of the, the fluff and then hammer that until it starts to kick in. And when it starts to kick in, put it back together. And if it feels like it's working, which it should, you will have got stronger and then you can just repeat, uh, you know, until until you need like the next level of kind of nerdery to uh, <laughs> to sort of, and, and then obviously like you don't need to go too far down these rabbit holes in terms of, for me, like that would be enough because climbing so multifactorial you know, it, it's probably not the whole picture. It's just part of the picture. But I do think um, you, for you personally, try and find a way of stimulating that middle finger in the crib position and the pinky in the straight position. And then they, they will be the areas of of the big payoff. What's interesting about just comparing to myself is for me, the battle is with my index being bent and in half crimp, I've had good progress on my pinky now in bent position but actually i haven't really paid much attention to my index it's pretty strong on the drag and when it's open and i think that's also a problem in that as my grip fails you know it falls into almost a stronger position but mm. i'm not getting out of the hold what i need to because i'm not accessing the inputs and things um but and and so my fight at the minute with my training time is high angle crimps and specifically targeting that the outside of my hand paddle, which is like my index and my pinky, because my middle fingers, and I'm lucky in that I'm similar to Aiden like this, so it almost makes it easier to emulate his training and stuff and the way we've trained. Um, we're both kind of like middle two dominant crimpers, um, but you do see a real mix of where people put the power through actually. and. Um, I've met climbers over the years, like um, Ed Hamer, who was ridiculously strong with his back to. Um, I've met good English climbers like James McCaffrey, who's ridiculously strong with his front to, and another good climbers. And it, it isn't just the case that we're all the same, you know. So mm. that's that's what I find interesting. Um, but what I should have done probably is like build up a database, and, <laughs> you know, like 
been a bit more scientific about it, but um, unfortunately, I haven't done that because I, I'm a human and I'm lazy. <laughs> Man, this is fascinating. So thank thank you for all that. First off, for the um, for the recommendations, because that's of course what I was most excited about getting out of this conversation and it's fascinating, but I have a question there. So that's, it's really surprising actually and interesting to me that you said that you wouldn't, that you don't think lifting something off the floor is the best way to take care of that. Um, Cause intuitively to me, I got these results and I was like, okay, I'm gonna use the tension block. I'm gonna isolate all my fingers as monos. I'm gonna lift weight off the floor with my pinky mono and start training it that way. And then I was just thinking as you were talking like, oh, I could do the same thing with my middle finger, but basically like half crimping a mono with the block. Why not do that? Why do you think it is that, or why do you recommend that I stand beneath the hangboard and keep my feet on the ground and pull in these front two, back two crimp positions rather than isolating fingers on their own? Yeah, like well picked up on. Uh, Blunderbuss and rifle. So if you lift off the floor, your wrist angle will not replicate climbing. It'll be a straight wrist angle. Um, just like if you lift pinch blocks off the floor, your wrist is massively um, on the extensors. And yet when you climb, unless you're doing like pinch twofer stuff in front of you or you're doing a pinch cross through, you never hit your extensors on a pinch when you're climbing. When you're on a board, you're like deviated and your wrist pretty flat. And you might get a bit of extensive work. So, like, there there are oversights that are built into lifting off the floor, which um, every every reductive form of training has drawbacks. Like fingerboarding has drawbacks as well. And but what I don't like about sort of training hard with splitting those fingers up, there's two things. Your sessions in the week will be quite impacted if you just do like. If you do the off-the-floor lifts, it'll definitely work. Um, what I'm trying to do in terms of advice is more up-to-date thinking of how I think nowadays, which is um, if you can keep all the applicability in there and build in the exact grip position that you need but stimulate the area but still have as much... Uh, it be as reductive as possible to kind of target that, but still have enough elements of climbing that it feeds back um, like it'll slot straight back in. Mm. My worry with a lot of off-the-floor lifts and things like that is they're great for target load. Like they do a really good job of isolating and hitting what you need, especially if you're injured. It's fantastic because you can get rid of the parts that hurt. If you've got shoulder injury, then you know, it's just going to be way better pulling off the floor probably because you've likely injured it with your arm above your head. And um, so... Yeah, basically keeping it as applicable as possible while stimulating as little of your body as possible in terms of extraneous variables and fluff, but also stimulating as much of your body as possible for just translating those neurological pathways and the way you fire straight back into your climbing. Because this is the issue I have with some gym lifts and stuff like that, is we would be we would see more people coming into climbing and just smashing it out of the park with the kind of gym strength you get if if the firing and the pathways were as directly applicable and um and i like to with all my high angle crimp training that i've been doing if i just hang off my fingers 
I really don't like the way I can't dig in the back of the holes because you're hanging directly below them. So what I do is I chuck my feet forwards and I step on a tiny little edge. So it's almost like I'm just sort of doing dead hangs on the board. But that means I can pull out and I can activate my rear deltoid. So trying to emulate Aiden again. And then, um, but what that does is it create, I get the input, I get the, I get the outpull, and then I get the stimulation in the pathway that I need. Otherwise, I'll just fire onto my lap. And I, if I, because my drag and stuff and my non-failing grip types can just rip through my lats, I've always been quite a dynamic, flicky climber. I've not been great at static climbing. So I'm having to like shunt and bludgeon this form of climbing back into uh, back into me at age 35. And it's it's kind of working in some ways, but I just don't have the time now for it to... Um, I think I would love to do this experiment in my 20s and see just get out and rock a bit more and you know just cross compare how much it works but what i keep doing is get really inspired by sandstone projects <laughs> go with, you know in all my spare time i go off to the wilderness in where no one cares about in england try all these hard boulders and um, on sandstone and then i come home and train all this like high angle crimp shoulders style and don't use any of it so <laughs> what, I want, what i wanted to do was to actually get in the lakes this year and start to put it down and get on the projects I failed on in the past but I've had this really annoying arm injury that has uh, mostly stopped that this year it's just like a bit of a neck brachioradialis nerve thing that's been really hard to pin down and um but I'm finally getting there with it uh basically I just too much DIY and kid carrying and yeah yeah just the general in life that break you down <laughs> uh but yeah that's why basically sorry (laughs) (laughs) no this is all great okay so i'm gonna i'm just gonna repeat it back to you though so the reason i would do this on a hangboard instead of lifting off the floor is because it's still targeted and very specific to the things i'm i'm focusing on on my fingers it's reductive in that way but it it maintains some of the more applicability to climbing than lifting off the floor would it's just like you know the wrist angle is a little bit more relevant and things like that yeah, wrist and then how it feeds into your shoulders and your arms. But what I would say is if you feel more comfortable, if you, whichever way you can, you can bottle that feeling, you need to like take a picture, a, a sort of feeling picture of the grip, and then you need to copy and paste that back into your training, but with with it split out, the you know, taking out the part you need, which for you I would say would be like back to bird beak, which is or like um, front two crimp like that. And now the the weights you're going to be training on with those are going to be really low. So it might be better to do it on the floor and lifting off the floor if you don't have a good pulley setup at home or wherever you train to take the weight off on the fingerboard mm. because that is going to give you better results. But if you do, what I'm saying is please do it on the fingerboard because it has more applicability in the shapes that you're making with your back and your arms um, for climbing. Now, the difference is, if you want to get really clever and periodize training and things, do the off-the-floor lift if you're going to hit another element of your training on a different day. So it's the whole, you know, train what's fresh um, principle. And and but that, to me, is like an extra level of 
uh, like real training planning, which I think most climbers will struggle to nail that. I um, mean, that most people just want to get on a, you know, they haven't got that much time. Um, it's best to just keep it at the level of keep it applicable because I think you get into dangerous territory if you go too reductive. So I think you could get, say, really good at climbing with like a load of gym exercises. And if you split the days apart, and you've got like that perfect training cycle, you could hit all the muscles well and get all that extra gains in terms of just everything getting to recover properly. And you're not having that crossover, which with climbing's were awful at the crossover, especially on the fingers. Like we just hit the fingers all the time in the week. Mm. If you're not careful, like, oh, I'll do roots and I'll do bouldering and I'll, you're just like, you're on your fingers the whole week. No one in Strongman does that. They don't like mm. always hit their abs or their core, you know, but they're lucky enough that they can the sport is able to be reduced easily. Ours is too movement complex to to do it. But if you were talking like, um, yeah, so you you can periodize like that, but I think that's where you need good coaching and stuff. And and for me, yeah, you you would just like you'd really have to take some time and write and break that apart in the week, which you could do like um, yourself or who you work with. And that's where I would do the off the floor lift to deliberately separate it. And try and not get that crossover. So, again, this we're, we're on about that whole thing, uh, that whole point that like nobody's got the right answer, and you can just experiment with what works. Um, but hopefully, what I've tried to add is, I would back that these are good things for you to work on. If you can encapsulate that feeling of why it's failing, and transplant that onto the fingerboard and just incorporate it into your fingerboard workout at a basic level i think that will hopefully like help your climbing um it's just like um and then you can try and make it more complex if it does work you know periodize yeah. it and things. but to begin with and especially for most people that might be listening um i think that's the that's the best way of doing it if you know, that's kind of what i used to do and i know it kind of works with um uh, so I always I kind of got to know how my index was weak because I could do like back three one arm dead hangs fine on the twenty mil edge, but front three was like this pipe dream. And then it's so funny when I like learned that Jim could do front three half crimp one arm dead hangs because I thought this was like some awesome amazing. Well, it is for me like it's just incredible to. I don't think that strength for me would be hard to work on it'll take me a long time i would you know and that's what people should think about this as well like this isn't a goal for four weeks this is a goal for like two years or mm. something mm-hmm. you know, you're not gonna up your finger by 10 kilos of pull in like four weeks of training totally it's not gonna happen yeah yeah but what i will say is you could get two or three kilos pretty quick okay well let me ask you this i mean do you have any recommendations for me as far as the actual protocol goes, you know, if I'm going to have a session where I focus on bird beak on the back two and then the front two in a crimp, um, edge size, you know, should I do this on pockets or should I just do the two fingers on a flat edge? Does edge size matter? Any thoughts on training style protocols? Yeah. Um, so basically to keep it quite simple, slot it into the peak of the session so your warm-up and you, you know your your middle and end third just keep exactly the same so likely to be 
you know, pyramiding up fourth finger, dead hangs and stuff like that in the fresh part of your session. So I would split that apart as being like um, front burner and back burner. If you wanted to just stick them on the back burner, shove them in at the end of the session, but make sure you're still fresh. But if you want to make this a priority and target it, put it in the middle of the pyramid, in the middle of the session. And I would say keep it on an edge size, which you're going to be hitting on the routes that you're failing on and on the board problems that you're failing on. So mm. it's likely to be 20 mil or less. And what you want to do is just take the weight off until it works. If you're going to be doing it on the fingerboard or put the weight on until you get to the right level of stimulation if you're lifting off the ground. Mm. And the key thing is just making sure that that feeling's the same. So if it's on a pocket, that's fine. Like it, it, it might benefit you more if like your pinky's l l like sneaky and likes to roll out sideways. A pocket's going to stop that, and that's why pockets are just nicer to train on for pockets because they stop your fingers rolling laterally. Um, but the you might want to do it on an edge, just if it's more convenient and um it's again it's just what just focus on that feeling and trying to copy and paste it and and then in terms of the level there's two things you need to be really careful on with splitting grips not going high for quite a long time in terms of close to max so i would do at least three to four weeks of like just making sure that everything's happy base level you know like you're splitting and you're 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 stressing your um, carpite sheet in ways that it might not have experienced like hardly ever um, the other cool thing about training your grip like this is when you hit like a back two pocket outside or something you can just yard on them <laughs> so, um, there's like a famous AB plus in the UK called Monk Life and I could just pinky mono the startle and just yard off the pinky mono because <laughs> I was used to pinky mono yeah. but you, you can't get a, for a bloke you can't really get any other fingering Um just like weird problems like that over the years. There's a cool AA uh, band crag in the peak called Crag David. And there's a, I did this like variation of it called River Dance. And I remember, um, I think I was there with Ned and you just sort of rolled into this pocket, but it was like this square pocket, but it was like a perfect back two. <laughs> and uh, it just fits so well. And all the other fingers, because you were crossing through, it was quite tweaky to put any of the other fingers in. Mm. And it was, it was too small, essentially. So sometimes you just find the hold outdoors that just fits, and you could, then you just do the problem because you're used to training in that way. But it's like a weird side spin off of this method. Um, but what I would say for the training is just make sure that levels a nice body weight, which just gets the message through, build that foundation. And then when you feel ready, you can just push that into some like slightly higher load lower reps just to try and sharpen it up but what i would say nowadays is don't go to max on it just put it back into the grip that you want it to apply to which for you would be half crimp and then hit that you know like in the way that you're you've been hitting it now mm. and then hopefully you'll just have like that bit better stimulate every finger will kind of know its job a bit better it'll stop trying to like you know share out the load and and things in the way that it's doing at the minute hopefully things will just feel a bit more sparky in the way that you can crush through them it's fascinating so it's almost like you know I'm, I'm gonna isolate these different finger combinations just to really wake them up just to wake the fingers up and then once they feel awake and they feel like they're firing a little better 
going back to four finger training to really pull hard. Is is that right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and some of it's like, um, some of it won't apply. Like you'll get gains when you split, which will just be your sheath adaption, like learning how to bring the other fingers into play. Um, but some of it applies really well. And I think it, it is a method that that does work, but it, it, again, it's just one way of going about it. Like, um, you could, you could never, loads of people never train like this and they just, um, you can still see gains, but I do feel like it is the blunderbuss and rifle. Like it's, they're, they're just lucky. Like they've hit the target and they've, they've hit it in a way that has like enabled progression. Um, but, and especially when I've looked at other sports, it's kind of confirmed it for me in the last few years. So I look at arm wrestling and how they break the wrist down and how little climbers ever talk about wrists. Mm. And, uh, and yet it's like, it's the be all and end all of arm wrestling. Um, but what's interesting is, uh, like they never talk about fingertips today. I said a bit on the lightest podcast and, um, I've never heard them mention the FDP tendon or the FDS tendon or stuff like that so it's really interesting like what is meaningful for a sport and they focus in on they break down and you get this fascinating knowledge and i feel like a lot of good climbers at the minute that are onto that are stealing from arm wrestling <laughs> and um, and then the same goes for like grip um i mean you've had eve gravel on and um there's another climber that's a really fascinating tr- cl- crossover who's been on lattice as well tanner um mm. who's um, again, like phenomenal grip athlete and was a really good rock climber. So there's these, there's these nice, um, you know, human examples at the minute of like crossover and ways of doing things. Um, for myself, I'm like, I'm still all about the rock and just trying to solve problems near my house. I'm, I'm basically a local dosser. Um, <laughs> I've been a little bit, but really I don't, I don't travel the loads. Um, so like, stuff i can drive to in europe is usually my fodder like I, i've been around a bit like i've been up norway and through uh, i went with michaela Cominati to italy and stuff and i haven't really been in switzerland much actually that's probably one of my weakest areas that i've, I've in terms of visiting but I've, I've got um to know font really well in the last um kind of five or six years i wish i'd kind of gone to font sooner because i love my favorite style of climbing is that sandstone because it has the whole subtlety which all this podcast has been about like robotic numbers and stuff mm-hmm. and the font just destroys that it's just like <laughs> it just says oh yeah you've come with all your your benchmarks and stuff like this but you know have like a very six speed plus like Burmaga or Isatis and like you know just do it first try go on it's, you know it's six speed <laughs> plus but you know they're a very very good climbers that spent a long time uh, on it but i loved that style of climbing like the i'm very lucky in that northumberland in uh, my local area is full of font style sandstone so when i go to font it's like a busman's holiday i'm just like oh yeah i know i know this game uh it's just there's more of it and it's way better um uh, yeah it's a magical place um for me for climbing and um i think we're very lucky as brits to have it so nearby and and what's lovely like the crossover there so just meeting people from other other areas and stuff one of my best trips to font was uh i met tim doyle from squamish who's a proper dark horse probably shouldn't even mention but uh, 
Yeah, it was fascinating to see Tim's approach to climbing and just how parallel it was, like even the shoes he had in his bag and the fact that when you do a lot of developing, you learn what heels work for what aspects. Like you have your catch heels, your sort of notch heels, your surface area heels, and he even had like the kind of breakdown for those and also the different toes and things like shoes you you look at totally differently when you've done a lot of developing, I feel, than when you're like just thinking about what shoe to buy for the gym or whatever you know like we we deliberately sniff out yeah what works for what rock type and what aspect so it was cool like even just to look in this but like we were on dual and um yeah i could just like know what shoe to wear because i could like cross equivalent it from what they were wearing <laughs> um, <laughs> that's awesome yeah it's so like stuff like that's great that's yeah the magic of climbing isn't it do you want to talk about wrists? I mean, I have some questions about wrist strength because I thought that was another area from our first conversation and from hearing you talk with Tom at Lattice that really stood out to me. Um, I'd be interested in that. But yeah, how are you feeling? And is there anything else that you want to talk about with the finger test that we haven't covered before we move on? Yeah, probably 20 minutes. It just hit me with... Uh, I mean, I think we've covered the finger test pretty well without kind of going getting a bit more half crimp data and um no i reckon like i, I think it just overcomplicate things i think there are other things to chat about in there but there's there's such good low-hanging fruit there mm. uh, and that's where i kind of feel like that kind of diagnostics is best like trying to pick out all the vagaries in that and train from it it's probably too reductive and board climbing and climbing is just such a mishmash of different things um but what i would say is uh i guess to, to stress on that finally um the point of it's the beginning point of a lot of our contact in climbing but it it's um because it connects to everything else which i can segue into wrists uh i feel like it has a knock-on effect so if you can't high angle crimp and you're not strong to get in the back of the hold you're not going to be able to pull out on the hold if you can't pull out on the hold you're not going to be able to move slowly above the hold so hopefully this makes sense to people like it it's just physics like if you can't access the input well and stabilize it as you move above it you're going to move quicker if you're going to move quicker you're going to have to capture that load when you hit whatever you're going to and stop it and you either stop that by being good at swinging and cutting loose all the time and having like a grip position that doesn't fail, or you're going to, um, you know, rinse some body tension and just transfer the weight into your feet and through your core and like do loads of little foot moves and get a little heel on. And, you know, like it has such a knock on effect, but that's also why these things are so hard to track down. So I think diagnostics are great for just picking up on the black holes. Unfortunately, they they won't help people's training. If the hardest part is then like getting the brain to fill that in, because the reason why we develop these things and these styles is just like everyone has their own way of moving and reprogramming, especially as you get older, is a case of old dog and new tricks. Like it, mm. it just takes that bit more of a a shunt to kind of get the brain to um to do it. But luckily it can be done and that I'm gradually uh I'm and I really enjoy that like I'm I'm very similar to 
um, Ned's philosophy, I think, in that I really enjoy training my weaknesses and not my strengths. I was thinking about this the other day, and I think I could do a lot better if I just train my strengths for sandstone. Oh, funny. I think, like, you know, I'm like six foot odd. Um, with uh, I've only got like six foot two span though, but um, the height because when you're compressing, you're often on a diagonal, and oh, if it does, my span works out. I've never really like not been able to span anything. There's been a few times in front I've been close, but I've got up stuff like endometrial climbing by just like relaxing my shoulders mm. and just getting getting the span in. But um, but yeah, like if I trained, I've been trying to think like how I would train my strengths for sandstone and if I should play around with that. But I just think I enjoy training my weaknesses mm. um, because for me it's more fun. It's like the low hanging fruit, whereas training your strengths. Some climbers do it brilliantly, and it's the best way to get up the grades. But then you come into the whole philosophy of like, what you're climbing for? Are you climbing for that personal satisfaction and and a feeling of moving over a rock? Or are you climbing to sort of prove something to yourself and other people? Or, you know, and for, it's not often never black and white. It's like a it's a blend, isn't it? But um, I I've spent so long. Um, it's only been literally in the last two years I've had anything really to go out in the lakes of substance, thanks to Aiden. <laughs> and now, but most of the things in the lakes are um, projects that are, in fact, nearly all of them are projects that are either the stand-ups mine or um, something I've had a relationship with in the past and have known about because it's really hard finding stuff. You could talk, do a whole podcast on how bloody hard it is finding rocks, but. Um, <laughs> It's, uh, it's so I've got those to go at now, but in Northumberland, I don't, there hasn't been the kind of next generation development that have kind of put up things. Um, it's still mostly me and the old boys rattling around over there um, doing new stuff. So it's nice because I have loads of projects to myself, but it's rubbish in that I just don't have like that shunt from the next generation. Um, which will likely come, like, I'm sure, like, there's so many good climbers popping up now, and Will Bosey and Aiden are both quite semi-local to the, um, in that Aiden's got his band now, and um, Will's from Edinburgh when he's up near his family, and actually that's only an hour down to where all of his projects are, so it's very likely in the next couple of years that the hard stuff will start going up. So if I want to take the county, I've got one dino left pretty much that stopped me. <laughs> wow. The whole problem with Chris And uh, <laughs> I have done it. And it it gave me a finger injury. It's dino if I'm mono. And um, I need to get that done. And if I could get, if I can be asked to get that done, I think that's my only window. Because I think when those boys get started, they'll be like, I'll be out of the game. But that Take is the county. Like, I love that. <laughs> uh, but there's, awesome. like, there's, there's not that many eighth grade problems there there's probably only uh 90 at the minute or something that's so, pre- <laughs> that uh, sounds like a lot to me that's awesome it's decent. like we can be semi-proud of it but it, you know, it's yeah. not fun or anything it's like 300 oh, God knows what. okay we've got about 15 minutes left let's uh let's dive into the wrist training the first time you and i talked you started by giving me a tour of your training room here and oh my i'm like staring at this beautiful climbing board behind you and I'm tempted to ask about that but we can save that for for round two um if you're up for that but 
just pretend it's a cliff and climb. <laughs> but yeah, so you showed me all, you showed me your training setup and you showed me your collection of grip implements. And you said grip is like my staple food. It's like the thing that you do all the time. And so I'm really curious, very simply, I mean, I know I asked about wrist training and that can certainly be your answer or can be connected to it, but what are most climbers neglecting? And I, I'm curious if you had to just give every climber listening to this one exercise to work on, either for general grip training that translates to climbing in your experience or specifically for targeting their wrist strength for climbing, is there anything that comes to mind? Or is that even the right question to ask? No, that's pretty good. Um, I mean, like, one arm half crimp dead hang would be like your great uh, staple that it just were. Huh, I was not expecting that answer. That's interesting. Um, you, but, you think that gets the wrist? No, not the wrist at all, but like just in terms of like if you were on about wanting to train or whatever. Oh, okay, gotcha, gotcha. I, I just think it, it's a lot of basis. But in terms of the wrist, um, the real interesting thing now is like um, indoor and outdoor climbing are kind of diverging and um, indoor climbing still isn't hitting the wrist with a lot of indoor climbing holds. They're making all these big uh, fiberglass holds, but they keep putting the hold at the front because it's more interesting if you like curve it and carve the pinch and things. And they're not putting the hold over the back like the font slope has hit you or some of those granite curves. Um, like uh, I'm trying to think of what areas have kind of like you see slopers are a little bit niche depending on where you live like if you live in the sand you know the sandstone in the states got loads of hard elements of that style um, but I would imagine I mean I've only climbed in a couple of areas in America but um, yeah like uh, Joe's Valley or something it, it, you could probably play like spot the sloper and not do very well. <laughs> like it's an area with a crap ton of crimps and pockets and, right. and a true sloper, like wrist bent sloper. It's just not that applicable. Whereas say like um, in Little Cottonwood, which if you're a Salt Lake local, it's going to be on your same sort of hit list for where you want to go. Um, there's that, is it Bear Claw Traverse or something? That 8A plus? I think I did that on my first day in America. But um just like loads of slopers, uh, slopey traverse in the main area where um, Copperhead and stuff is, and uh, it's it's got something to do with bears. In. Uh, yeah, uh, I'm, I'm, I don't know that one. Anyway, um, yeah, granite, full of slopers. If um, if you want to go looking for them, uh, so whereas yeah, so indoor to outdoors, I think this is where people will see a big hole and again like we've talked a bit about black holes in training so if you just climb in the gym you get good in the gym you get good on a board you get flicky and then you suddenly try and squeeze something outdoors with a massively bent wrist you're going to quickly realize that that thing's going to fail within one or two goes you probably get a load of wrist ache you might get a clunky wrist and then you just come away being a bit like oh that was a battle um whereas if you've trained your wrist and you've like if you had an arm wrestler's level of wrist strength, you'd just be like, oh, that's a total joke. So, um, yeah, climbers can be pretty bad at overlooking wrist strength. And I don't know many climbers that really target it. It's a bit niche, a bit weird. 
Um, I just do it for the fun of it, really. And um, it doesn't apply it. Again, it's total junk. It doesn't work in the lakes on six mil in cut crimps. Um, what I would say is don't overlook the extensors and stabilizing the wrist when it's in the extensor position, which again, like there's a divergence between climbing and arm wrestling because they never train their wrist back really because essentially you're looking at a loss. So you never really want your wrist to go back, but in climbing we climb all pretty much all board climbing is like neutral or extensive. Like mm. you barely ever get onto your flexors. But pretty much all sandstone curvy squeezing or gritstone curvy squeezing is on your flexors. Like if you're going round a curve, your wrist is flexed slightly. Whenever it's flexed, it's activated. And when it's activated, it's got pulled pretty hard. And then you get into stabilization of pronation and supination and like your paddle on a sloper and how that paddle works. And um, so hopefully that'll like explain things to people a bit as to maybe why it could be a priori, priority. But I really feel like it'll just depend on where you live. And because if you're sport climbing as well and things and trad climbing, I just don't think you need it. Mm. I, I think, I think it, ha it you'll occasionally hit like a break or something that might be slopey, and it sucks if you're pumped because that you just fall off. <laughs> like slopers plus pump are like horrendous, aren't they? If you've been to those sport climbing areas that have them, um, like there's a few routes in Australia and things that are a bit like that. That's when you kind of get that vomit pump rather than the, you know, the, just the forearm pump. Um, but yeah, when uh, it'll, it just depends on where you live. And, and again, like indoors, it does help. There's a lot of other weird wrist strengths. And actually, like um, guppy strength on volumes is way more beneficial in comps than like your sloper strength. What strength? So a, Say that word again. Uh, guppy. Oh, yeah, that's another one that gets. Uh, what does that mean? Loads of different terminology. So, like, you know, loads of volumes of triangles, and you essentially just okay. flex your meat, uh, and your, your, um, it's like a meat wrap grip or something like that. Yeah, where meat you, wrap. Yeah, meat wrap, where you're like squeezing between your palm and your fingers. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, and you often have a, a lot of wrist flexion like this. That's actually how I injured my arm, and uh, was on a downhill volume meat wrap. And I was like pulling really hard, making up an eliminate in the gym. And uh, and I'd just been there too long. I'd <laughs> uh, been there like three hours because um, my wife and I had like the odd one of these rare days where we didn't have the kids. <laughs> and uh, I forgot that I was massively unconditioned. And uh, and yeah, just tweaked it. But it's taken ages to, to fix. And I'd, I was probably tired from playing around with doing silly wrist things as well. Uh, but yeah, those those guppies or meat wraps on volumes can be really pinky based if you hit them on the outside or index based, and that's massively pronator and supronator um, dependent. And then in terms of deviation and what an arm wrestler would call the riser, which is uh, it's like abduction and adduction, isn't it? If you wrist, but um, yeah, the. Those are all things that people might want to pay attention to if you're wanting to work on that strength for comps. And because um, again, like it's non-existent in fingerboarding, it's non-existent in board climbing. 
but it's hugely important in competitions nowadays. Um, it's tof- almost non-existent outdoors. Mm. Like where are the triangles? Like I can I can name a few problems. Like RSA Cave is actually quite triangular in Scotland that has a lot of Dave McLeod's harder problems on. It's like a really cool AA there called Triangulation. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Um, there's like yeah, it's just full of like, but that has quite a few guppies in that indoor style. But like as a rule. They're just super rare to find that feature. Right, um, right. There's, a, there's another 8B I did up at the pre sole actually, if you want to. I quite like playing the, think of the exception to the rule game. Um, <laughs> and that, that has triangular volume guppies on. Um, but, um, yeah, and, and again, like, uh, that's just got some weirdness. That had, like, knee bars and guppies, and that was enough for, like, teenage Aiden to get a bit confused. I reckon it eat it up nowadays, but um, but yeah, it was it's it just shows that multifactorial element in climbing. Um, but again, like some people have mastered that, you know, like nobody can mention knee bars without Dave Graham, and you just think like that. And and some of these uh, sport climbers now as well are kind of taking it to the next level with mm-hmm. applying them. And I'm kind of all for that. There's been quite a few debates in British climbing about you know pads or no pads, knee bars or no knee bars and stuff. And it just seems a bit silly to me because there's so much rock in the world. Mm. And if, it's only when, if you're precious about one route and you tried really hard and you did it without knee bar, it feels crappy when someone comes and does it. Right. But if you look at the whole picture, it's just crazy to think like there are so many climbs in the world that you can't get a knee bar on. Then it's a valid technique. It's And it's actually quite fun. Like I've got a lot of respect for that technique. Um, like I hate it sometimes for like the awkwardness of it. Like you do, it does restrict your movement a little bit if you're not an expert on how to apply the pad and things. But um, it's uh, it's an art, you know. Yeah, and totally. Yeah, I can respect any anything like that. It it is. I just was thinking about. Um, I've done quite a lot of knee barring, and I'm I'm sure I'm not an expert at it, but I've done a fair bit of it, and I was just immediately when you said that I was I was just thinking about a, a route that I climbed a couple of years ago, I think it was an eight day route, and uh, I it was like a knee bar scum under a roof, and then you have to extend and like dead point a crimp above that, and it was I've I've never before or since done a move like this where it was all about locking in the lower body below the waist and making sure that you didn't move at all. Cause if you moved, the knee bar would come out and then generating and doing a dynamic dead point with your upper body. You know, it was so bizarre and just getting that perf. And it was, it was absolutely tipped out for me. Like I, I didn't have any margin. I had to be at full extension to latch the crimp. And it was just so weird. You know, it's like everything in your in your previous experience is telling you to generate through the legs and the hips. Um, but just to isolate those two things and separate them and compartmentalize them like that. I mean, it took me so many tries to get the hang of this move and uh, it's just, yeah. just totally different, but really fun. That's like a ab crunch punch or something, isn't it? Like, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's like flopping your upper body towards the rock. Or something right. Like yeah. That's, I mean, exactly like what, that's, the movement's just brilliant in climbing, isn't it? Sometimes to miss out on that would be a shame for me. But yeah. like, I respect people that don't do it because I like seeing power in climbing as well and just like brute force. But the, there's a place for both of them, you know. And I, th- I think it's pretty much 
that's been and gone now. Like new bars look like they're they're pretty much here to stay. I'm seeing them on all the hard problems and routes. So it seems like that's been the big boom in sport climbing. Actually, it isn't like we've all got way stronger in the last ten years. We just worked out how to rest properly and then stack the difficulty on. Um, just to like massively overgeneralize and yeah, yeah. push over a huge area of the sport. Right. Progressed, but. Well, Dan, I've uh, I got a bunch of listener questions for you and for people listening. Um, thank you guys, everyone who submitted questions. A lot of them were around uh, high angle crimps, different grip positions, how that's impacted your own climbing to focus on high angle crimps and these different things, what you learned from Aiden, et cetera. So I think we covered pretty much I think we covered most of them. We definitely didn't get to all of them. And for you guys that submitted questions, I'll save your questions um, for our next conversation and hopefully we can get into more of those. But I, I have two questions here that I want to ask you before I let you go. And they're a little bit more general. They're just looking back at your own climbing journey, given the degree to which you think about all this stuff and all these different chapters you've had in, you know, this, this blunderbuss rifle thing and really focusing in on specific things. What do you wish you had started doing earlier? If anything. Uh, forming uh, an athletic physique to base the foundation on. Uh, that's like really easy to answer. <laughs> um, so I, but then that, what's weird because like you're asking for history to be different, but um because climbing was like a bit more grunge, garage-based, DIY boards, and training was a bit more underground, something you whispered between your mates. <laughs> so to, to go from that to like full-blown, like, oh, I'm going to like hit the gym and develop a really balanced physique and get, and then tailor it to climbing would be like just mental to think of doing that in the 2000s whereas now i think that's what the kids are doing to get the next level up because ultimately the pitfall of just going down the road of boards and fingerboards which i think i i was lucky in that i guessed that pretty well in my late teens and um for myself uh i guess not regardless of grades like it's just given me the option of basically hoovering up a lot of blank rock and projects um, and managing to solve those puzzles, which is really satisfying. And also being able to kind of repeat a lot of past test pieces in the UK. Um, uh, and, and so like I've kind of got out of climbing a lot of what I wanted. Uh, I feel like I've managed to, I, I'm really lucky in that I've had the satisfaction, the personal satisfaction, which can only ever be for oneself in that, I feel like there's been a few times where I've managed to climb things on rock that have been very close to what I could possibly achieve um, at that particular moment in time. Now, those styles have changed over the years, but I could definitely have climbed harder with more of that athletic approach. Mm. But would I change it? Um, like, I'm, I'm glad I got into bouldering at a time when, you know, like 2002, 2003 was when I started putting up problems outside in my late teens and that really feels like the boom time of bouldering you know like what was bishop like then and you know fred <laughs> nicole and was just starting to explore those areas and uh, you know i've look i've been lucky enough to meet sam edwards over the years who yeah he flew through 
bishop around that time and did that goldfish trombone and things. Oh yeah, another yeah. like amazing world dark horse. And, um, but yeah, and then like yeah, the mandala and spectra and things of they were all so inspiring at that time, and I wasn't anywhere near that level in those days. But um, just to uh, to have been around bouldering and to have been like even just sort of an observer at that time, I feel like that has been such a cool period of bouldering from like those days to where it is now has really felt like a a really interesting thing to have been involved with um so yeah like uh but yeah I, i'll i'll stop rabbiting on <laughs> so, yeah more of an athlete and then uh what do you think you would need to focus on to get to the next level for yourself whether that's v15 or or some specific boulder that you want to do that seems like a next level boulder for you personally yeah, I think um, I'd be happy just climbing. Um, like for me, uh, I'm I'm very I, I, I just like see British grading and grades in general in terms of like uh, the amount of times I've climbed like eight B second go or eight B plus like the Alchemist in under an hour in font and then spent like I'll just spend like three years on something in the UK to give it eight B plus. <laughs> because <laughs> because uh, i can't touch the eight c's in my county because the gaskin isn't um i i couldn't really like i give loads of shit about training and strength and like like you can measure a dead hang so i'd love to get my um one arm less than 20 mil drag up to a cool like maybe i should go for 110 kilo total or um <laughs> wow. I, i'd like to um I've never done one five nine, but God, doing one five eight was like the most useless bout of camp. Like I think campusing's campusing's brilliant on holds, and campusing problems is amazing. But I think campus boarding uh, is a good way to get loads of movement engrams that you are never going to use outside. <laughs> and most people that I see that are brilliant at campusing embody that. In that they they don't tend to be the best movers um so like yeah those feats of strength i'd love to work towards i guess you can train those in the house but um outdoors i'd be chuffed if i could repeat a bunch of aiden stuff locally in the lakes so like there's a bunch of kind of eight plus eight c ish problems in the lakes which i would love to do so like um and they uh, a lot of them have been probably projects that have left and i know i can do them like um leopold sit i've done all the moves on and that's like an hc aiden did just earlier this year mm. the problem for me is i just get distracted i'm very motivated by just having a nice day out climbing and being out in nature so if the conditions are better and and, and i get really sucked into lines like we haven't really chatted about highballs and stuff but if there's a bigger better line i'll just go for that it doesn't uh. matter if it's easier like I love the aesthetics and the um, purity of like the challenge. And um, that's what I, so I'll spend like days stomping around trying to find like a big independent line to get inspired by. So I've got one lined up for this winter actually, if I get time on the grit. I don't really care if people do it before me now as well, um, but I would love to do that. Uh, so, and, and that for me would be like another line on the grit that i would just be like super inspired to take sort of into the memory banks with me 
Um, whereas, yeah, with with grades, I just get like frustrated just for the personal British history. And I love where we are now with the sport with it. But yeah, compared to the little bit of climbing that I've done abroad and things, like I think a lot of, uh, I'm sort of, yeah. Um, it For me, it's just like wicked to see um, the talent that we've got coming through now and that are traveling and stuff and people can just see kind of the the British climbing scene is pretty strong and healthy. Um, but what matters to me is kind of that uh, I get quite, you know, I, it doesn't matter to me about the grade. If I've put a lot of effort into a climb outside, it's more about just chatting to my peers and I'm really lucky in that a lot of my problems are very well respected. So between my, my problems in the lakes that Aiden's repeated, I feel like he they mean a lot to him and they weren't just like, any old 80 plus or whatever um which is you know like that matters to me more than having a good chat about the sequence and stuff um but uh yeah so and i would love everybody wants to progress but um i think for me yeah i guess there's like there's eight season font i'd love to do that are on my list yeah it's just time i don't think i've really got the time to like I'd, I'd have to try and tick them pretty quickly, which I think mm. I can do for like, I've ticked so many things quite quickly in font because I've never had a trip longer than three weeks there. Okay. So I'm used to doing stuff between one and two weeks. I've had one three week trip. Yeah. Yeah. So I've had loads of two week trips, which if you know anything about, you know, like if you get bad skin on your first two days, you, you that's 50% of your trip with bad skin. So I'm right. I'm or if it rains at, for the first week in font. Yeah. Which was my last trip. It was like, and, um, uh, but I've been really lucky and I've had some great weather on trips over the years and stuff. So I've got through a lot of what I wanted to do in font. Um, so actually, and I kind of worked my way up. So I've only really got a lot of the harder stuff to do above AB plus and above is where I've got a huge hole in like my font resume. So actually stuff, yeah, like the Big Island. Um, that's the last of the old Black Star 8s I haven't ticked in font. I've done the rest of them. Um, the Of the new Black Star 8s, I've got a few more, but it's under 8, I think. But again, that's a crap measurement because there's so many things that are good in font that have no stars. So now I think I'm just kind of looking at the new problems that have been put up, like Thomas Collignon and Oliver Le Breton are amazing and inspiring that they're in there. 40s and still doing incredible lines and um, and then Guillaume Hubert and that cool young developer in font um, very, very inspiring stuff so um, but I've got those to go at and I've got the kind of the hard stuff so like Delirious Sift I'd love to do I kind of spotted that before and that's an AC of uh, Charles's um, yeah Big Island I'd love to try so it's just like if I get a trip and the weather's good and they're there, I'll I'll get stuck in. But I'll have to. I do need to kind of get. I'm in, I'm in the thick of it with like young kids and um and just general like you know I'm working with young kids and I'm doing my house up at the minute. So <laughs> I'm not like I'm playing the long game and uh, but not by choice. And uh, <laughs> yeah, I think I'd. Um, but I'm just happy. Like if I can, I've been really happy with kind of a lot of these training styles that I'm emulating from Aiden and things. And um, 
I just feel like maybe to demonstrate it to people, that would be it. So that's partly why I would like to repeat those problems. But I feel like a lot of the problems Aiden's done, they're a bit binary. You can do them or you can't in that a lot of them are so power-based in the fingers, especially that you tend to make them look easy-ish if you can do them, mm. if you can pass that bar. Whereas um, there aren't too many tricks. Um, there are a few because he's done a few things so quickly. He's just missed the best beater. But um, yeah, so there are inspiring lines in the legs for me to work on. But yeah, I'm just like, I'm quite uh, easy come, easy go. I love mm. training and work on that. But in terms of climbing, I just, um, I, I value sort of happiness over performance more so that just means going with my heart and what really inspires me and that can be an 8a slab a 7c plus or 8a mantle because those are flipping like if you <laughs> tried any british mantles um 8a mantle is pretty full-on um <laughs> i can't but, i can't even imagine um, what that would feel like yeah yeah, there's some sandbags in Britain for like stuff like 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 Ned's Ned Zeppelin or um we we went to this place called Hell's Mantle on the Grip. And that's still got some great projects at. Um but I went I got um me and Ned and Dave Sutcliffe all went and we were just missing Ben's Ben Bransby, who's like one of the other best mantlers. And um we would have had like the dream team. <laughs> but we had three out of four that were pretty good. And um uh again like well, that was a bit mid-summerish, so we. Should, but I went back in really good conditions and did this kind of like hybrid problem with a bit of hard crimping and then like a seven C plus mantle that me and Ned did previously, and um, stuff like that. I find really inspiring. Mm-hmm. It's like a different style and fun to work on, and um, so yeah, just local projects for me are as motivating as um, uh, a sort of something that's would be like a, a big number that's. Um, gonna like turn heads um because that's kind of i mean i'm lucky in that i'm in a low pressure i don't need to turn heads so i'm inclined to just go that way well awesome man i think it's uh i've been greedy with you i think it's time for you to put your kids to bed but i just want to say i really appreciate this this is so fun for me it's definitely super helpful for me i'm excited to take this advice and like you said use it and apply it to myself and um, share the results with everyone listening and, and see what happens from it. But yeah, I just, I really appreciate the time. And for everyone listening, I still have about a page of notes at least that we didn't even touch on. So if you want, if you enjoyed this conversation, let us know. And if you want to hear us talk about Dan's spray wall and how he thinks about setting up a spray wall, his he's got one of the most unique spray walls I've ever seen. That's a teaser. Um, so if you're curious about that, I was curious to hear about your time management and what you focus your time on when you are limited on time. Because I was surprised to hear that you're not spending much time climbing on your board because you're focused the little time that you have on other priorities. Um, If you want to hear us talk about outdoor tactics and finding boulders and highball mindset, there's so much we could talk about. So yeah, if you guys want that, let us know and uh, hopefully we we can do a round two. But for now, I appreciate you. Thanks so much. Yeah, and if I'm a boring bastard and you're sick of me. What was that? But if I'm a boring bastard and people are sick of listening to me rabbit on, then yeah, I'm, I'm happy here just to 
crack on in silence. <laughs> yeah, you no, give them both there's there's a lot of geeks out there, man. I think people are going to be psyched um, to test their fingers and to uh, get into this in cut. I'm sorry, high angle, high angle crimp training. I think it'll be great. So yeah, I think uh, yeah. So just and and just yeah to finish for yourself. I think the main thing, if anyone can take anything away from when you split your grip up. Just the main thing is making sure you just copy and paste that when you break it apart to be as applicable as possible. And then you should hit the, you should stimulate the right nerves and you should wake stuff up. And then when you can wake stuff up, you'll hit those parts that have been, you know, a bit sleepy. And everyone's got sleepy parts of their game, you know. So, and and you know what? We're not all going to end up at Fortnite A, but what I would say is, surely everyone can get a bit more progression out of their fingers if they find like the slack and sleepy parts and and um what's cool for you especially with your middle finger is um that's like a finger that can take a lot of load biologically you know it's the it's the big strong one so for you i think it's something to do with like the way you've got into climbing and a bit of like the way you sort of stimulate your grip and Maybe you just haven't had loads of dynamic, high-impact load that's forced it to sort of wake up a bit. And I think that would be dangerous to just jump on, like, like just be flicking around, like, loading up, like, one arm. I used to um, do this thing where I just could jump and drag campus rungs on one arm. It's <laughs> crazy to think I used to do that now. Um, but, uh, yeah, so just capturing that feeling and making sure that that's what you copy and paste onto your training um, is the best way of, if you're going to split your grip up and stuff, just try and do that. And uh, I'll leave it there because hopefully that's probably my best takeaway point. <laughs> On that note though, maybe we should end with some goals for me. So for the pinky open hand, I'm at 16 kilos. I'm going to try to get up to 20, like you said. And then my middle finger in a crimp position is currently at about 16 kilos, 16 and a half. What's a good goal for me, you think, with that? And I'm I'm thinking long-term. I'm thinking like over the next couple of years, something to work towards. A couple of years. Okay, a couple of years above 25 and shorter term, two to three kilo jump. Okay. In six months. Okay. Ish. That's, but that's partly because I think the, there's something that, um, and that's where, um, yeah, the, I feel like the middle should pick up more and it can certainly handle that kind of load for your body weight and things like that. So I feel I feel like that's not too crazy. And certainly that's the type of numbers you'll see on um, stronger boulders in sort of the mid eights. Um, is that kind of, if it's not on that finger, it will be on, say, the pinky or something like that. You know, like the load will, you'll get there. Um, so... And this is this is why you see like 138 percent body weight scores and things like that on some uh, dead hangs and stuff because like the pinky will just take 40 kilos or something or 50. Wow. When it's you know, things like that, but um, you know it's well, it's all load displacement and stuff. But um, yeah, so for you, 25 long, you know, like two years ish goal, and then pinky, I would say because that's flexed and then pinky i would say open i would say yeah above 20 
is that's a little bit harder. You've got to be a bit more careful with the pinky. You can strain it as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, a little bit easier than the middle, I feel. It's got less. It hasn't got the same support that the middle has. You can't draw from the other fingers as easily. So it's only got the ring to pull on, which is genetically tied to anyway. Um, so, uh, yeah, 20 kilos. And then if you could get, uh, like, yeah, I would say that's a safe goal. I wouldn't. I wouldn't say like I'm much above 22 would be like pushing things, you know? Okay. Um, but if you take that and you could apply that to half crimp, I think you've just, what if you just bought yourself that? Like, um, uh, maybe like 10 kilos of body weight, which is probably going to be the difference between one arm dead hanging. And mm. hopefully it'll be the difference between the main thing you want is, that grip shouldn't be failing on most of those sort of five fourteens and up. Right. Um, uh, so yeah, that's the best way of looking at it. I think is like what sort of load are you going to be putting through your fingers on those roots and when, and how can you keep failure at bay? Mm-hmm. Uh, but the, the thing I really shouldn't talk about is, uh, root climbing, fitness, power oh, okay. and stuff like that. <laughs> Yeah, I can't. I can't help you there. Just get like some person that's been climbing for like two days on roots, and they'll give you better advice. <laughs> this has been amazing, man. I'm really excited to uh, to integrate some of this stuff, and I'll just be I'll just be grinding away with my finger training per usual, and uh, I'll keep all you guys posted. But thanks again, Dan. No, yeah, thanks. Cheers for the chat. Yeah, it's been great fun, Stephen. Hey friends, just a couple quick reminders for you before you go. First things first, I put my training results from the finger strength test that I did with Dan in the show notes for this episode. So if you want to see my actual results, my numbers, how much I can lift with each finger, you can download that from the website for the show notes page for this episode. Go to thenuggetclimbing.com and find my episode with Dan and you'll find it there in the show notes. Also, before you go, don't forget to check out Rhino Skin Solutions. Whether you have dry, glassy skin or sweaty skin and have trouble keeping chalk on your hands, Rhino Skin Solutions has products that are designed just for you and your skin type. Check them out at rhinoskinsolutions.com and use code NUGGET at checkout for 20% off your next order. Also, be sure to check out the Arcteryx film, Free As Can Be. I watched it, I loved it, and if you love climbing, I'm sure you'll dig it too. Head over to YouTube and search for Arcteryx, free as can be, or use the direct link right there in your podcast app to watch the full 31-minute film for free. And finally, don't forget to check out the Grasshopper Board. Check them out on Instagram at grasshopperclimbing or visit grasshopperclimbing.com to find out where you can find a board near you to try it out for yourself. Tell them I sent you, and when you're ready, to get your very own grasshopper board, you can save big money on your order. And that is it, my friends. Thank you so much for listening to the very end. I really appreciate you guys for tuning in week after week and for supporting the podcast, either with your dollars or by listening and sharing it with your friends. It means a lot to me. If you haven't yet, I would love it if you could leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or a quick rating on Spotify. That definitely helps out the show as well and only takes a second. Once again, I hope you found something valuable in this conversation. 
Best of luck with your finger testing and training. I hope you guys have an amazing week and we will see you next time. Like we do it, 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 like we do it